Howdy, everyone. Welcome to Go Fat Free Break and Unsafe Space. I'm Carter, and here's Carrie, as usual. Oh, wait, she's muted. That was my fault. I, hello. We have a club <laughs> coming up this Sunday. Announcements right off the bat. Wow. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams. And you can join us. It's free to be a part of our book club. And you can be in the video chat or you can be just in the live chat like today. <laughs> I, I have to admit a boomer moment. I was like, <laughs> I thought one of our guests had like a radio in the background. And I guess he does. But it was really annoying. Like I couldn't hear. And I was like, something's wrong. And I muted everyone right before the show and realized it's my other computer pumping like some stupid video into my ear. So oh. it wasn't anyone else's fault. It was my own boomer That's ridiculousness. Yours. But um, anyway, welcome to the show. And uh, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And before we bring in our guest today, can I say thank you to someone? Yeah. Alana. So I just got this in the mail. Alana, if you're watching, thank you so much. I, I didn't. Carter, Carter collects all the mail and then he'll wait and send it to me when there's a lot of it. So I don't know how long ago you sent this, but look at this. Her daughter drew this picture of me and Tiger. Oh, wow. Isn't that great? Tiger, yeah. Tiger loved it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I thought that was super sweet. I just wanted to say thanks in case you were waiting to hear for a while. Anyway, that's all. Well, um... Today, we have two guests that you've seen before, but never together. Um, I guess let's do Josh first. Let's welcome Josh Denny uh, Josh. back. There's Josh. Hey, guys. Hi, Josh. Where are tell you tell everyone back? who you are. I am uh, a comedian and uh, the former host of Ginormous Food on Food Network, and uh, which is fitting because as to be on brand, I'm coming to you from a restaurant in Wilmington, Delaware. And, t and you were saying beforehand why you're there, which I think is really exciting. Yeah, we're here doing stand-up shows again for the first time in about a year and a half. So live stand-up is back. We're doing it tonight at two shows in Wilmington at the House of Laughs, uh, 7 and 10. If anybody's in the area and wants to come out, by all means, come join us. But you were asking before the show started. Are people really ready? Are they coming back? Are they showing up? And it's like, yeah, this, you know, the crowds are smaller and in a lot of the clubs they're distanced. But, um, you know, everybody is uh, psyched to get back to, you know, life as usual, business as usual, going to live events, you know, hanging around strangers again. Is the laughter socially distanced? I mean, you know, <laughs> when certainly was last night. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we, we had a low turnout last night. It was their first time doing a show on a Thursday, and it was, like, up against the NFL draft. And, you know, this this Philadelphia, Delaware is a pretty big football town. So, you know, we were like, boy, the audience took that social distance thing really to heart tonight. <laughs> Remember Gavin, uh, News was it Newsom? Gavin Newsom's rules for Thanksgiving celebrations? Oh, order? yeah. Well, it's like you can have a gathering, but it can only last this amount of time, and you have to wear a mask in between bites, and nobody can play the clarinet. <laughs> it it was basically that. Yes. It makes me think like like laughing, playing wind instruments. I'm so, I'm kind of surprised they're letting people laugh without. Well, I'm a, I'm a big guy, and the guy opening the show, Mike Keegan, is a big guy, and then we had this other comic come out and do a guest spot. 
uh, named Gus, and he's like 6'4", probably 300 pounds. And then the DJ at this show last night is like 6'3", 300 pounds. And we go, listen, there's four people here with all the comorbidities. If, if it was going to kill any of us, it would have happened already. This is the safest place in Wilmington, Delaware you could possibly be. Nice. Very nice. Well, let's bring our other guests in before we just start having an entire show without her. Um, Marie Busky. There's Marie. Hi. Hi, Marie. Way down Hi. from, I guess we can't say down under. What do you say from New Zealand? What do you, I don't know. Oh, no, 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 down under is okay. I mean, we, we're right okay. next door to the Australians, but yeah, from down here. And it's first thing in the morning. You got me out of bed at 5, 5.30 a.m. Well, I appreciate it. Um, it's okay. No problem. <laughs> You're very I'm dedicated. A bit, I'm a little bit you hazy. Said, coffee. <laughs> you send chocolate, you manage the swear jar, and you get I out do. of bed at 5 a.m. for us. So I know. Uh, I know. That's dedication. That's dedication. Yeah, between that's, between Tomsky and I, because he's in the U.K. and he's up at all hours as well, I think we, you know, we keep the international fires burning. <laughs> Excellent. Why don't you tell you people guys, who you are quickly? Oh, so I am Marie Busky, and I am just here in New Zealand, and I own a yarn store and, well, I have a yarn store and a spinning mill with a group of um, colleagues that we own and run down here in New Zealand, and I also have an event, which registrations open this morning in a few hours, so that's really exciting, uh, and I've been doing that now for very many years, and uh, if, of course, for those viewers who, there may be new viewers to the channel that are not aware that the SJW Knitting Walls are alive and well. And I was liberated through the Knitting Walls in this channel. Um, yeah, a year ago we, we figured out. Wow. Um, it's, it's been a, a crazy ride. You really and Josh, ahead, before we started, were comparing notes on yep. trolls. <laughs> like, would you call your yeah. fan club? Yeah, my, and, I call mine the fan club. Yeah, would would you want to share either of you a little bit about that? Because Josh, you were saying they. Sh the funny thing is, when you get new trolls and they show up on your old videos. <laughs> yeah, they'll show up on old videos, and here's the funny thing: now that shows have started happening again, they're showing up to shows, and they're so easy to spot. Like this particular brand of troll, where they're just they look, they all sort of look. If if uh, if you want me to give you the physical descriptor of what they look like. They all look like Timothy Chalamet if he got all three of the vaccines. <laughs> so they're like as autistic. They, they, they like they all have autistic tremors and they're they're weird and creepy. And it's like every if, if I ask you to draw a caricature of like a twink incel, that's a, that's exactly what you're picturing in your head is exactly what they look like. And they come to the shows alone. I did some shows with the American Freedom Alliance in L.A. a couple weeks back which if you don't know AFA, they're like a sort of conservative pack. Um, they do a lot of like events and we did this sort of big laugh night for free speech uh, comedy. It's a great event, but there was a, a troll that came out, bought the ticket, which is between 50 and $80 and wow. spent the entire night like taking pictures of myself and my girlfriend eating dinner for his blog. And I want to be like, <laughs> And it's, it's, like a, it's like a Facebook group of people that hate, you know, free speech comedians. And they talk about, you know, they, they sort of like track our podcasts and they're always trolling our live videos. And they last time I did Unsafe Space with you guys, they overloaded the chat. And um, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, now they're coming out to live shows and they're taking videos. And it's like, 
It was like, you're taking pictures of me eating food. Everyone's seen enough of that. It was called Ginormous Food. It was on the Food Network. It ran for three seasons. Like, you're not getting anything. Any, yeah, you're not getting anything that anyone hasn't seen, by the way. That's amazing to me, that kind of dedication to hatred, like an anti-fan club. Yeah, and it's and it's like, listen, to me, at this point, you know, it used to bother me. And to this point now, I'm just like, like, he came up after the show and he's like, yeah, I've really enjoyed watching you over the years. And he referenced, you know, that he's basically a, a fan of this podcast that trolls comedians. And I go, I know, I know that you guys all look the same. You all come alone. You have no friends. You sit up front like a weirdo. I go, I, I, I know who you guys are. I go, thanks for buying the ticket and coming out tonight. If listen, if you if you come to see me and you put money in a business's pocket to then give me the money, I hate to tell you, you're a fan. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is what you call them, Marie, the fan club. Yeah, I call mine the fan club. They, uh, I mean, the one difference that I have, Josh, is because this is New Zealand and we only have five million people down here, so you know we're related to everybody. Um, we're kind of like Kentucky on steroids, really. So we have we have that many homeless people in my neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> so we um, oh no, all ours get put up in motels here, darling. Um, so we have my crew. I mean, I know a lot of them. So you know, and there's a number of them that were my former friends. So that can you know that initially that I mean that hurts. You know, people that know that a lot of the things that are being said about you just simply aren't true. But, you know, they will sacrifice themselves to the ideology. Uh, yeah, I, I, have no my, problem with, I have no problem with fair criticisms, but when people start to yeah. sort of invent things, it's like, listen, there's enough real stuff to make fun of me about. You don't need to invent yeah. new things. Yeah, exactly. Mine, um, the favourite thing that my lot like to do is... Uh, they will troll around in knitting groups or one they actually had a coup several months back and took over the largest private knitting group in um, New Zealand and they as moderators and anybody that inadvertently trips over the invisible tripwire of what's wrong with Marie what's wrong with Skeins uh, there is the that one person in the group that takes it upon themselves to distribute uh, the link to my unsafe video and says, if you want to know what's wrong with skeins, watch this. And um, Vivian, thank you so much for doing that for me. I really appreciate it. You, you're, you've been such a support and a help uh, because it's done nothing but bring our business, more people to the business. It's grown the business. And for every one uh, outraged snowflake, um, I probably have 10 that have gone, oh, thank Christ, someone stood up to these girls. I'm like, yeah. you're welcome. These bullies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they're very fervent in their belief that there are no such things as bullies and there are no, um, they, they're not bullying me because they are right and I'm wrong. And uh, there's no such thing as cancer culture. Yeah. They call their, when they bully, they call it radical kindness. Oh, is that Have you heard that, Josh? I have. Wait, you're serious? They actually call it that? Yeah, yes. they do. They, call <laughs> yeah. I've, I've seen this. Yeah, radical kindness. Yeah. Carter, I knew you would like that. I thought you. Knew I that. love the double speak that they come up with. They're quite creative. Yeah. And ballsy. And ballsy. 
Well, we have a couple of uh, topics today. I know there was something you wanted to talk about, Carter. And there's I mean, I, I'm not. You. Yeah, I'm not uh, stuck on anything in particular, but we can start with the thing you sent me if you want. Can we? I just want to yeah. hear. I want to hear your take. I do. I want to hear uh, Josh and Marie's take as well. This is just something that a few years ago I, I wouldn't have had any context for how to make sense of something like this. I just don't, didn't pay a lot of attention to the economy, as you know, Carter. I don't. I kind of my eyes close over with economic discussions, but I, I think I've learned a little in the past couple of years. And so to see an article like this, and then to see just the wide variety of comments. This is from my local news channel here in Austin. Uh, it says, everyday products are about to get more expensive, companies warn. Plastic, paper, sugar, grain, and other commodities are all getting more expensive as demand outpaces supply. Yep. Should we read the article or was it the responses um, to it you want to? Well, I kind of want to, I want to look at the responses, but maybe could you read a couple paragraphs of it? Sure. It just starts out. Toilet paper, baby care products, soft drinks, and many other everyday products are about to get more expensive. Procter & Gamble, Kimberly Clark, and Coca-Cola have all warned that they'll raise prices on many of their products as raw material costs rise. Plastic, paper, sugar, grain, and other commodities are all getting more expensive as demand outpaces supply. Companies are also paying more for shipping as fuel costs rise and ports experience longer delays because of congestion. Um... The potential to hit consumers' wallets comes as the economy returns to some semblance of normalcy. Blah blah blah. Now they talk about vaccination. Is there anything else that's that we no, really need to just, get out of this before of, we? That's kind of it. I wanted to okay. hear your thoughts on it, and then yeah, I want to if we could look through some of the comments. I think that would be fun. We don't have to spend a lot of time on this. I just, I this is the sort of thing in the past I wouldn't have had any opinion on why prices are are being are suddenly being raised. And I think I know why now. Well, well I mean, I, having know, not been familiar with the article, I think we said, we being me, a year ago, <laughs> this was going to happen. This, this is what happens. Like, we have a massively interconnected global supply chain for a number of products. And when you shut down travel between countries, especially between a lot of Asian countries and a lot of European countries and America, you disrupt those supply chains and things cost money. So like, this is kind of a duh article to me. It's like, who did not see this coming? Who's well, paying attention I'm, to the economy? I'm not, I don't a, know. I'm not a super conspiratorial guy, but one thing that I do believe was a little bit of political theater was the ship getting stuck in the Suez Canal. You know, it's sort of like we need the receipts to make it look like there's shipping issues. But ultimately, we knew this this COVID bill was going to come due at some point. And this is the same thing that fiscal conservatives like myself have said for a long, long time, is that, you know, you, you can't have free everything for a long time without the taxes being raised. And then eventually what happens is to pay for that higher taxing pricing goes up. This is why the concept of an ever growing minimum wage doesn't work, because businesses will always outpace that with inflation right which is basically just going to be this built-in premise of well things are more expensive materials are more high well who's auditing that who actually can verify that that's truly the case or that we're not just artificially now inflating these things to make up for the fact that these companies had to be out of business essentially or have reduced sales and incomes for the last 18 months and so 
you're going to see these kinds of articles to justify behavior that would happen whether that's true or not, whether the material costs have gone up, whether there really are delays in shipment. And so when I saw the Suez Canal thing, I go, yeah, that looks like political theater. Like, look, the ships are literally getting stuck in the harbor. <laughs> sure. Although I'll say, like, look, my wife has a business in China. I, the the um, the cost of plane tickets is like almost 10x. I mean, not quite, but it's ridiculous what it used to be. It's it's it. There is a massive impact to the supply chain like this has happened. There's there's going to be real costs. I don't think our toilet paper comes from China. So, you know, I don't think Procter and Gamble can claim that. But, you know, we've seen fuel prices do affect like a lot of this stuff is low margin products and shipping costs play a big role in it. You know, the Suez Canal thing, that's a blip. Like, sure, I could see some temporary increased costs for that because people had to go around. Uh, they had to go around uh, Africa to get or not Africa. They had to go around South America instead of going through. No, they had to go around Africa, right? Mm -hmm. Damn. Africa, anyway. Yes. Yeah, they did. I, I would just think that was, sounds pretty horrible, but they did actually have to go around Africa anyway. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so stick to like, economics, that's gonna have not a, geography. <laughs> yeah, no, I was questioning myself because it just seemed that seems too harsh, but they did indeed yeah. have to do that. So, yeah. So, um, but, but, well, no, I guess they could go the other direction. They could go the other direction around South America to not go through Cape Horning and then go up to Europe that way. Can you talk, though, about inflation? Is that is this is any part of this due to all the money that they're printing? Well, that's the thing is that, yeah, and, I, and to me, I feel like, you know, the commonality of all the companies you mentioned in the article, Carter, is they're all publicly traded. So they have a fiduciary responsibility to the shareholder in some regard to restore those lost earnings that, you know, that they lost in the last 18 months from not having enough sales. So I do think you're going to see that more and more frequently with larger companies where whether, whether it's true or not is really a matter of opinion. They're going to raise the prices. They're going to tell you that whether it's true or not, because they're they're trying to make it back. Yeah, it was in, in coming from somebody who lives in a country. I mean, we're as well as being a mass exporter, we're also a, we import a massive amount. And New Zealand is we're up there with Switzerland in terms of cost of living. We're exceptionally expensive to live here. We rely on a lot of imports and. Uh, having a business that imports, I mean, we import raw material, we import finished goods, uh, predominantly from Asia and Central Asia, a little bit out of the US. We have seen our shipping co shipping costs since COVID and since things have opened up have gone up anywhere between five and eight times in that time. Wow. Uh, to get something, um, to get a container landed into either Port of Auckland or where I live here is one of the major ports. Um, we, the sailing of the ship to New Zealand um, can take a, a week or two. What now takes an incredible amount of time is getting that ship unloaded. So, especially in the ports of Auckland, a ship can literally sit out in our harbour for weeks to wait to get unloaded. And it all comes down, and it's a massive, it's like a huge cost of basically, of uh, increased costs with exchange rate because, of course, we rely on buying everything usually in the US dollar. So in the New Zealand dollar fluctuates against that, depending on what's happening in the US politically or otherwise. We have the cost of getting it down. You've got the cost. I mean, it costs to have that ship sitting in the harbour 
before weeks waiting to be unloaded. So you're paying for that time with your goods on board that ship. Then they've got to get it unloaded. In this country, then you have to throw the inflation on with environmental changes. So uh, we've now shut down all our oil and gas exploration. We've now, um, we have a very left, extremely leftward leaning socialist government here in a second term. So um, unlike you guys who've just entered that uh, for term one, we're actually now um, halfway through a second term with ours. It is, well, actually a year in, I think, with a second term. Um, a lot of the costs of those policies, which uh, feel really good, are now starting to bite. So uh, the in, in, inflationary costs of any imported goods is one of them. And we are now in the situation where we have um, a lot of our exporting eggs are in the Chinese basket and our government has gotten off board with the Five Eyes Spy Network, which we're part of, which is in the Pacific area, because we can't, they uh, can't call the Chinese out um, on a lot of um, social issues because of our really tight trading arrangements. So there's a huge knock-on effect and inflation is, is part of it, but I think it's so much more. It's compliance costs, it's time. I mean, Carter will tell you, time costs money. The longer anything takes, there is a cost to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think there's just a massive misunderstanding of how businesses run by a lot of people. They think that it's like, you know, the Monopoly guy in a top hat, like, or Scrooge counting his gold. And like, that's not how, No. like that's, yeah, Bezos has a lot of money, but by the way, almost all of that is tied up in Amazon stock. He couldn't dump it tomorrow and actually have that money. It's paper. Sure, he's super wealthy in real dollars as well. But, um, you know, like businesses are, a lot of businesses are, I mean, Amazon's not fragile. I kind of hate Amazon for other reasons, but like a lot of businesses are actually quite fragile. None of these, like you can say that a small business, like small businesses can't even survive the COVID kind of shutdown. A lot of them couldn't survive. The larger ones at least have a stash of, some of them, have a stash of money that could maybe get them through or they have connections in Washington. So they got some kind of relief, um, but they're going to want to rebuild that cash store. They kind of have to. Um, and, you know, I, I do with inflation. Actually, I should correct myself really quickly. I'm sorry about my geography faux pas. It is Cape of Good Hope that they have to go around, which is Africa. That's the easier one than Cape Horn, which is South America. So they're, they are going around Cape of Good Hope. Um, but inflation, the thing with it, the thing with the printing of the money is it's hard to tease out that effect. There's not like a, you can't just open a company's books and say like, well, this is how much, or even the economy, you can't say like, this is how much is due to the fact that the Federal Reserve has got the printing press running 24 seven right. metaphorically. Mm. Um, but it, but you don't have to actually tease that out to know that it must have an impact. You can just look at the, the raw dollar amounts and say, well, mm. yep. we've printed an enormous, an inordinate amount of money in the past several years. Like it's absolutely ridiculous that the roost, like the, the, the hen will come home to roost or whatever that phrase is like mm. it, we will, we'll get our comeuppance. You don't get to escape reality forever. You can like, borrow a bunch of money or print a bunch of money, but the bill comes due eventually. Mm. And, you know, printing that money, inflation hurts, you know, it hurts the small guys much more than it hurts Bezos, mm. right? He doesn't care if the price of bread doubles, but no. a lot of people do. 
Carrie, yeah, what were the, the biggest... comments? Oh, oh sorry. Oh, go ahead. I should say, I'm dying to know what the comments were. Well, some of them, we don't have to put them on the screen. I'll, I'll just read. I can this, grab them. This one thread in, in the comments was, uh, I just think so many people talk out their butt and they don't know what they're talking about. And <laughs> obviously this happens a lot. But this one person said, and, the, and I thought, you know, she had some good points. She said, businesses can't get people back to work due to government handouts. When energy prices and minimum wage and corporate taxes go up, it costs more to produce goods. When it costs more to run your business, you pass on to those increases to the customer. The US went from being a net exporter of oil and natural gas to an importer. Now they're predicting gas shortages this summer. Thanks, Biden. She put that little thanks Biden thing in there. <laughs> and um, I mean, I thought, I thought she had some great points. And then these people came yeah. in to disagree, these morons, in my opinion, somebody says, uh, oh, yeah, if someone makes more money not having a job than working at your business, your business probably has no business being in business. And <laughs> I'm like, God, God, I hate that. I hate that line yeah. so much. I hate that line so much. That's that, that is obviously an idiot who has never run a business and never even looked at a P&L in their entire life. No. Yes. <laughs> Yes. I think we yes. can all agree. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so someone tried to reason with her, a different lady, and said uh, they're hurting because most businesses have been closed. So how are they going to pay big wages until things get up and running again? You can't do that without workers. And then the idiot returns and says, workers do not exist to subsidize your business. Can't afford to get what people to pay what people deserve? Then get a loan. There was a whole federal program for that reason last year. Your employees shouldn't shoulder the fiscal consequences you assume when you open a business. And I, I'm reading this like, do you have a reading comprehension problem? Because you just said get a loan. That's what the first commenter said is government handouts are part of the problem. And then you're like, go take a government handout. Like, well, I no one's going to give you a loan. If you're like, hi, my business is unsustainable because I need to pay people more than they're actually worth to my business to make Jesse happy on Facebook. Can I have a loan? <laughs> no, no, you cannot. Yeah. La labor is labor. The labor line in my business is 82 percent of my income because it's the right thing to do. Can I get a loan? Yeah, get out of here. <laughs> you know, has anyone ever has this person even watched Shark Tank? If someone on Shark Tank is like, what's your cost? They're like $32. They're like, whoa, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't it be wonderful that if you had the people from Shark Tank, right, you know, because they dish out a lot of honesty, you know, if they get a really crap idea, they're like, what are you thinking? Wouldn't you just love them to be everywhere, you know, all these crap ideas, all these ideologies, everything, they're just like, get out. Oh, you know? Get <laughs> like, out just, of just here. Just walk out of here. Stop wasting my time. I think that's well, this is the, this is the scary thing. I was going to say this is the scary thing to me about all this new economic or, or um, environmental legislation is because a lot of that is really going to be a Trojan horse for massive taxation increase. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Welcome, welcome to our world down here. So we've had that for for a number of years. I, I mean, I, I get the feeling the environment is the new Donald. That's just from afar. That's what it looks like in the. I, mean, I think I think the other thing they're using environmental stuff for is yeah. to get the government involved in business 
directly. So if you look at what Biden's proposing, hundred percent, right? Biden's proposing stuff that doesn't exist. He's like, oh, to meet these numbers, uh, we actually this technology doesn't exist. So you'll have to rely on the government. He literally said the government will help create the technology. Like, okay, so now you're now you're engineers. Now you're going to get into businesses. Like, they're trying to just take over the economy completely and take over industry. It's a, by the way, that's fascism, but that's a separate issue. Um, <laughs> well, this is my argument it, with universal health care, too. It's like, yes, in theory, yes. the idea that we all, we all get free health care based on our taxation makes sense. We can probably afford it. It's a luxury we can afford in this country. The problem I have is we already know, based off of any other historical programs, that universal health care doesn't just mean uh, you guys – cover the bill out of what I pay in taxes and I get to have the peace of mind that I don't have to worry, it means in pretty soon you're going to start telling me how often I have to work out, how many carbs I'm allowed to eat every week, of course. Uh, am I allowed to smoke, am I allowed to drink? And so people don't realize that because it's easier for the government to manage down to you know, scarcity, that they're rather than spend money or find a way to pay for these medical things, they're just going to remove your freedoms to make it cheaper and more profitable. Yeah. And that their ultimate goal isn't to solve any of these problems. It's to get control over the areas of the economy that they want control over. And like they want healthcare to be a government thing. They probably want energy to be a government thing completely. So this is just a way to get there. Um, there's not. Here's the, here's the trick. This is why I would be opposed to even if even if you would say that healthcare, government healthcare is a luxury we could afford. You always have to look at at incentives, like you want the person paying for the product or service, paying the person that provides the product or service, like you want that relationship. You want the doctor to be paid by the person paying, like who needs the service. Whenever you have a third party doing something, you get a moral hazard. You end up with like, well, the doctor's not incentivized to treat you as a customer because you're not really the customer. The government's the customer. And like, boom. I mean, you see this with insurance companies even. Like, well, our incentive is to make the insurance company happy and blah, blah, blah. And that makes it kind of crappy to be a patient. Like third party incentives create a moral hazard. You want you want the person providing the service to get paid by the person who wants the service. That's how you have to align incentives. And anything else becomes inefficient. Yeah, yeah that's not true. That's why, that's why I think that the better solution for healthcare would be to, you know, keep it private and to not income tax American citizens until they hit a significant income threshold, right? That way they still have the personal relationship with their healthcare provider. And to your point, the the business is accountable to the consumer, not some administrative arm of the government that dictates how they run their business. Yeah, yeah, I mean, see, I we have universal socialised healthcare in this country and have had for a long time. And politically, that is the sacred cow that no one wants to touch here. And sure. interestingly enough, as it never works 100% well for anybody. So what you have is a system that can work incredibly well some of the time but ultimately a system that will let down a good portion of people 
most you know most of the time and so we have I mean our the other business that my husband and I have is actually a medical business so it's an area that I'm quite passionate about and we are unusual in the New Zealand environment that we are 100% private so we do we are direct fee-for-service from customer and ironically one of those customers is actually a hospital board a public is the government because they can't provide those own services within their own infrastructure and they have to subcontract those out to us. And the freedom that that gives us is tremendous. And whenever I have managers from that hospital system come to visit us and come to have a look at what we do, and I remember the first time this happened and they walked through our facility, we have a small elective day stay hospital and they walked through and they were having a look and he could see the efficiency and he said, well, how many steps do you have from when the patient arrives to when the patient has surgery? And and I said, three steps, you know, and, and these are the three steps that are along the way. And the look on his face, and he was not horrified, he was jealous. And he And I said, well, how many have you got? And he said, currently 13. <laughs> so a piece of paper, or there are 13 steps for them to get from when the patient walks in for their consultation to when the patient actually has surgery. We have three. And I said, well, now you know why private medicine is always going to be more effective and efficient than public medicine. It's as simple yeah. as that. Look so. at LASIK. Look at the price of LASIK surgery, right? Yeah. It's like yeah. this incredibly complicated laser thing involving your fucking eyes, which is scary. And like prices have come down, service yeah. has gotten better. It's like an iPhone. It's gotten better over time. Yeah. And now look at basically every other government, because by the way, the government's not really involved in LASIK. Uh, look at the rest of the healthcare system, more expensive and worse for the same service. Like when okay. we built our when we built our facility, um, I mean, as Carrie and Carter knows, I've spent a lot of time in the US, and, and when we built our facility, we uh, did a lot of research on based on facilities in the US. And the one thing that we don't have in New Zealand is weight of numbers, as I said, small countries. So we are working towards whenever you scale anything in the US, it's easy to scale it to a large. Um, mass market, because even in a moderately sized city or county, I mean, a moderately sized county, you're looking at close to um, half the population of this entire country. Whereas I'm working on the medical business, I'm working on a population draw over only around 200,000 people. So when you're working on that small number, you've got to scale and price everything to that number. And it stunned us to go and see facilities that we're in places, you know, like flyover states, middle America, um, places that are not necessarily in a main hub, but you would walk in and they would have um, like three suites with three separate LASIK machines and then another suite with six, these little coffin cubicles where you go in and get cataract surgery and there'd be a viewing platform. And, And the cost of those surgeries were so much cheaper than what they were at home because of scale and they just literally were moving them through tuning them out and people were getting state-of-the-art effective surgery quickly effectively and affordably um, for seriously 20 percent of what it costs us to do it down here 
it was mind blowing. Absolutely. Well, you, if that's impressive to you, you should see our buffets. <laughs> <laughs> oh, honey, if I stand up, believe me, I've seen them. <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh, do we do it in mass? You see how efficient it is. Yeah, watch us eat. It's pretty good. We're pretty good at it. <laughs> well, I, I think, you know, with every with every new technology, it's expensive at for in a free market. It's expensive at first. Only the rich come in and afford it, and then it gets cheaper. As if it's if it's something people want, uh, they figure out a way to reduce costs. Rich the rich subsidize the research and, and development that went into it at the beginning. Remember laser disc players? Like, look, rich people bought some things that were kind of ridiculous and didn't take off, but they spent their money, and then we got DVDs and and things got pretty cheap. And so, I think, you know. We could we could talk about the efficiencies of government healthcare or lack thereof all day, but the point that someone was making in chat, which I completely agree with, which I think we do need to say, is it's completely unconstitutional in the United States for the government to be involved at all in healthcare. It is unconstitutional, aside from which it's immoral, but it's unconstitutional. So I, this idea that like, Why? well, it's a luxury we can afford, like great, go afford it voluntarily. It's unconstitutional. You can't. There's nothing in the Constitution that's like, hey, uh, the federal government can can provide luxury services that once we think that we've got enough cash, that's not. And by the way, we don't have enough cash. We are 20 some odd trillion dollars in debt. So we can't afford it either. That's monopoly. But it's monopoly money, baby. Get get five or six more tanks going. We don't. It's fake. It's all fake. Just spend whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, but why do you say it's unconstitutional? Maybe this is just semantics, but when I hear, hear that word, what? I, I, no, I don't understand. It, it's not like against, there's nothing in the Constitution that prohibits the government from doing this. <laughs> the Constitution doesn't, the Constitution is structured saying the government can't do shit except for these things. Okay. Healthcare is not one of the things listed. QED. Yeah, I guess my, my, my thought my thought on Carter. it is this is like when we talk about when we talk about life, liberty and pursuit of happiness. And this is I'm just taking an economic perspective. I think the number one fear that people have to deal with in their day to day lives is what happens if I get sick and I can't afford it. Now, the argument I would make and keep in mind, I'm a I am a conservative leaning libertarian making a case for socialized medicine. And all I'll say is this. What could the productivity potential be of America? If the average entrepreneur, the average person just didn't have to worry about ever getting sick, right? So I'm not saying that's an entire government arm of controlling healthcare, but when I say it's a luxury we can afford, I think it's a problem we can figure out, whether it's through uh, reducing the federal income tax burden on people and letting them handle it themselves, but making it not an economic concern for the average person of, I can't afford to go to the doctor, I can't afford to get sick, I think makes the country better. Now, I don't care how we administrate that, but what I'm saying is before we spend $75 million on gender studies in foreign countries, how about we figure out how to make America a healthier, happier place? And that doesn't mean telling us what masks to wear and what vaccines we need and ignoring the fact that we are a very malnutritious country. We don't exercise well. We, aren't, we don't know anything about vitamins. You know, so there's there's so many things that we could be doing that are pro healthcare in America that we don't do and we spend so much money on this other nonsense. That's why I say getting our healthcare and our actual healthcare, not fake mental health care awareness days, 
uh, actual health care of Americans in check is a luxury we can't afford. I mean, I, you know, I don't I don't agree. I don't think we can afford anything. We can't even afford the lifestyle we've been living for the past 40 years. So I like that the bill is going to come due and it's going to be and it's going to be due in RMB. <laughs> like it's it's we're not we're not the powerhouse country that we were. We were we went from the world's largest creditor nation to the world's largest debtor. And the only reason we're getting away with this crap right now is that we have the reserve currency, but that's not going to last forever. China has no intention of letting this go on forever. Uh, Has there been any, because I mean, the Chinese, the Indians and the Russians have been working on looking at creating a new global currency to actually uh, replace or usurp the US dollar. I mean, is that getting any airplay over there? I mean, no, no one talks about it, but they're buying up gold. They're having those conversations like they don't need us. They don't. China is is becoming rapidly a first world superpower. They don't need us anymore. And when they don't need us, then they don't need the dollar. No, and they they were also um, buying up commodities massively. I mean, the Chinese are playing the long game. I mean, they bought up one of the greatest exports that we have to China as dairy, and the second is uh, paper or um, pine forests. And they are buying uh, dairy. They're all over Africa. Yeah. They're buying mineral rights. They're buying everything. They're going to own eighty percent of the freaking natural resources if we don't stop. Yeah. yeah, you guys remember you guys remember how we dealt with this hundreds of years ago? It's called war and murder. That's what it will lead to. Eventually. I mean, I mean, uh, you, I mean you, you do, unfortunately, you, do you might to, be right. You, you do have to realize, like, America, you go, well, what, what, why doesn't America have panic about this? It's because it's like, do you think the mafia worries who they owe money to? The United States isn't worried about who we owe money to because we just go to war with those people. We don't pay them back. I mean, I think war with China would be a global catastrophe. I don't yeah. think we could possibly do that. Yeah. Well, that's, some people that's, believe that's it's insane. Some people believe that's insane. No, I, I mean, look, the idea that the U.S. just because we've been the bully for 200 years means we can continue to be the bully and a bigger bully won't come kick us out is just naive. Like countries don't last forever. That the you know yeah, Rome was a powerhouse. No one could possibly touch Rome. And then it fell. Like, we will fall. If the Chinese choose to exercise their military power on a global scale, we're all up shit creek without a pedal. Oh, come on. They'll crash half of their war vehicles before they ever get to their destination. <gasps> I, don't, I, I don't know. Where's this? I, don't, I think there's a naive perception of China. Like, they have changed in the past 20 years. Their tech is better, they're mm-hmm. smarter. Like, yeah, they Listen, have a lot of problems afraid, and they're authoritarian. I'll be, afraid but... when I, I'll, I'll be afraid when I see a guy successfully parallel park a tank. Until then, I feel OK about our chances. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's yeah, but Josh, that's the thing. I mean, I, I mean, I live in a part of the world where China is, you know, we're on the Pacific Rim, you know, so they are our Pacific neighbor as a, as a sense. And we have um, there was a massive amount of Chinese immigration. So we've had a huge amount of, and it's been exceptionally positive. For New Zealand, so it's been positive Chinese immigration to New Zealand, and these were freedom-loving Chinese who, particularly when they were seeing the uh, end of the 
Hong Kong arrangement with Great Britain and uh, how things were changing in China at that time. A lot of those families got out. A lot of them send their children to New Zealand. The other huge export in this country is um, import rather is Chinese international students. We teach a huge number of students here. They all come, they're here. And like Carter, you know, we see uh, we get a, an insight into the Chinese community here. And I've got a lot of very good Chinese friends and they say to me, you guys need to watch out. There's, there is, they're tapped into the media in China. They know what's going on. And they say to us that there are things happening up there that really the world are completely oblivious to. And that, you know, yeah. there is so much more going on. I guess you get that too, Carter, with your wife. But They are busy buying up. They're buying busy. rare earth metal rights. Yeah. They're buying precious metal rights. They're buying commodities in, in South America, in Africa. There's like, they get... There's constant videos of African villages learning Mandarin, saying thank you to their Chinese benefactors who are building industries. And like they are taking over because we're too arrogant to think that they could ever take over. Well, that's what I was just going to say, Carter, is like we talk about their military prowess or their power. I mean, the problem is and this is this is what I meant earlier when I said some people think we're already at this war. I mean, their biggest weapon against America is America. There's a reason why they're infiltrating us using social media, using Facebook. You know, they don't have to get us at war with them. They're going to make us go to war with ourselves. And yeah, we're, we're idiots. Yes, and we totally for agree. It. Absolutely. Yeah. So they'll they'll never yeah. have to fire one shot at America. They'll just convince us to start killing each other, and it will work because we're stupid. Yeah. yeah they've read their Sun Tzu. They're going to sit on the sidelines and manipulate us into self destruction. Yeah. Let's let's. Yeah. <laughs> Let's 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 uh, the Chinese will be like, let's create an entire Facebook campaign about how the flag is systemic uh, white supremacy and then the, it'll work itself out. They don't even honestly, I don't think they have to do crap because our we've 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 already grown the cancer of Marxism in our universities by ourselves. All they have to do is not help people defending liberty. They just have to sit on the sidelines and be like, eh. Let's wait it out. You guys are dead. <laughs> like, yeah. So you know, when, when America when America falls, it will not be because we got out bullied. It will be a suicide. Yeah, I want to. That I agree with. I want to step back for a second for anyone else who was confused and wanted to hear an answer to this question, like I do. Um, when I say when I asked you, Carter, like why why would you say it's unconstitutional? I I was hoping like to understand Sorry. that better. I know Sorry. that there are a lot of people who not understand that. And I know that because when I talk to people, even about something that I clearly understand as being unconstitutional, like the government arbitrarily shutting down businesses and deciding which businesses are on lockdown and which ones aren't. When I, when I say that, I mean, that's a fact, that's unconstitutional. People will come back. Well, what do you mean? Where in the constitution does it prevent them from doing that? And the masses do not know what's in the constitution. So right. I wanted to say, so Penumbra Syndicate and Beverly, but Penumbra Syndicate did a super chat and he said, the 10th Amendment codifies federal powers as enumerated only in the Constitution and caps all expansion. It defers any fu other functions to the states. Is yeah, so I, I think the fundamental thing to understand about the Constitution and what made it different than founding documents before it was, it was structured specifically to say, these are the things the government can do 
and anything not here, they can't do. They're, and it wasn't that no government could do it. It was the idea was this is just a coalition between states. So Virginia can decide to do health care if they want, I guess. Right. But the federal government can't get involved. The federal government is like we are only allowed to do these things and anything. And, and actually there was. And of course, they used some language in places like, well, for the general welfare and like, man, leftists have driven a truck through the general welfare clause or like the interstate commerce clause. Like they they they've decided they've like pried that open as a, a, a chink in the armor of a constitution to allow a whole bunch of crap in that wasn't intended. But the founders, they, they actually had this argument about the, the first 10 amendments. There were there was an argument that. We shouldn't enumerate the right to free speech and the right to bear arms and you know search and seizure, all that stuff. The argument wasn't that, that the government should be allowed to do those things. The argument was, well, if we enumerate these 10 things, people will assume that anything else is fair game. And actually nothing is fair game. I don't wanna enumerate anything. They're not allowed to do anything. So. The, the danger we have in enumerating these guys, this was the argument, is once we enumerate them, people will interpret this as, oh, well, these are the things we're not allowed to do, but we're allowed to do everything else. And that's not true. So the compromise was we'll add a thing at the end, which was the 10th Amendment, which was like, hey, just to clear, just to clarify anything we haven't mentioned, like you're not allowed to do. Those powers are reserved for the states and people like and yet that is just completely the whole thing is completely ignored. Almost everything is unconstitutional. Everything FDR thought about is unconstitutional. Everything Woodrow Wilson did was unconstitutional. Like most of what most of the progress we've seen at the federal level is completely unconstitutional. Do you would you say that things like Medicare and Medicaid and Of course they're unconstitutional. Yes. Of course. Okay, well, of course they some are. of us are new to hearing this, even after two years of talking to you. I didn't understand that you thought those things were unconstitutional. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah. And I, okay. Yeah. This what is about Zander. an orgy card? Is that constitutional? Or <laughs> that is totally unconstitutional. Uh, but I don't think the federal lines. government can mandate an orgy, Josh. Sorry. But they can mandate that you wear masks at one. And um, if it makes you feel yes, better, Josh, true. I see um, prostitution is legal in New Zealand and you're allowed to do it maskless. Uh, I'm on, my, how are your buffets? I'm on my way. <laughs> Wait, you mean there's prostitution and a dairy industry? Hey, Sign me if up. you're lucky, you could go to a brothel and it has a buffet. Right. <laughs> yeah, we have that. It's called Las Vegas. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, by the way, someone in chat is saying Carter's wrong. He's just having a libertarian fever dream. If I'm wrong, you need to make an argument. You can't just say he's wrong. The most moronic comments I ever see on YouTube, and I'm just going to say it again because I can't stand it. You'll be like, all men are mortal. Socrates is man. Therefore, Socrates is mortal. And some moron will be like, I disagree. Well, go ahead. Well, like, But you haven't made an argument. So to, make an to argument. Fair, to be fair, that's Rib Rock, Rock Gut, and I saw he was arguing earlier. It so. wasn't Rib Rock Gut that oh, I was okay. looking at, but okay. Okay. So uh, thank you, Sean Brady. He says, Denny, why did you lie? Oh, one of your fan clubs showed up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Denny sent five dollars. Sean Brady sent five dollars. By the way, I love that that person <laughs> donated to make that comment. That's hilarious. <laughs> Denny, why did you lie about plane crash? Maybe he's being funny. 
Um, yeah. And then we have Xander. Thank you, Xander. Xander said the fundamental difference between a totalitarian state like China and a free country like the USA is that Josh Denny is an Uber driver. Oh my God, your fan club came. They're trying to dunk on you. <laughs> you, know what I think is, you know what I think is so funny too is like, I worked at McDonald's in high school. That was way more embarrassing. Why does nobody bring that up ever? Yeah, why do they, wait, I, I'm, I, is this person trying to shame me for being, for I was gonna say, Uber? why is it embarrassing to work at McDonald's or be an Uber driver? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but aren't these the same people who we, are like, raise we, the minimum wage? Right, exactly. Yeah. Well, we live in a time where, you know, 90% of women under the age of 25 uh, pay their rent now showing their naked bodies on the Internet. I, I think shame for earning money in this country has gone out the window. Yeah. I, I, um, I do a lot of gig work ever since I left entertainment just so I can say what I want to. I'm, and I wouldn't go back to making the money I was making, like TV money, entertainment industry money, for anything. Yeah. And, unless I could do it unfettered and say what I want, which I don't know. I think we're pretty far from that world. So, <laughs> so I would much yeah, rather yeah. do gig jobs. You I have I to do work Rover. hard to have no masters. Yeah, you have to you have to work hard to have no masters. And I'm not above. I am not above working hard to have no masters. Yeah. I think I just think that's funny when people try to use that as an. Uh, by the way, I think I don't know if this has been your experience, Carrie, but I think a lot of leftists, like they act like they're these, uh, um, like magnanimous for the people, like they really care about the little guy, but they're the ones who are like most hierarchical and really conscious of like power and condescending to wait staff and like mocking you for working at McDonald's. It's like. Oh, what yeah, worlds do you live in? I've never even yeah, considered they're... mocking someone for being an Uber driver. What kind of an asshole are you? Like you're you right. are projecting your elitist like snobbiness on the rest of us and thinking that you have to save people from the aristocracy. You're the aristocracy mindset. You're the problem, not the rest well, of us. They're also elitist people in the middle. It's like, yeah, I've driven Uber and I've worked fast food. I've also been an executive one of the hottest IPOs in the country and I've also had my own television show in 14 countries so do you want to talk about the peaks or the valleys because I got a lot yeah. more of them than most people yeah <laughs> yeah they don't buddy most people have a lot of the peaks I was reading something stats about um have a lot of peaks and valleys because I was reading stats about how how many people in the U.S. easily move between class groups and you know that that we tend to think of like oh the upper class and the middle class and the and the lower income as being very uh solid like static groups and they're not they're you know people move between these groups a lot of people over a lifetime anyway yeah i mean just, the this the, the criticism of, of this kind of thing is as simple as this like i've met the people that write these kind of comments in and they're not people I would ever hang out with or take any advice from, so I don't give a fuck about their criticisms. Right. They're uh, so juvenile. Ugly. I'm reading. I'm reading one now. By the way, <laughs> you're obviously a gay guy in the top left. You know what? If I were gay, who the fuck would care? What's wrong with that? What if I were gay? <laughs> what the fuck is that? your problem? And by the God. way, and by the way, as a fellow libertarian and capitalist, Carter, I would say that we're all gay for the right price, are we not? <laughs> <laughs> um, wait, look, these guys are like giving super chats just to try and dunk on you. I love Denny, it. 
You got to bring your fan club back here more often. Let me scroll back to some of the old ones I missed. We just we this just created a new ugly. crowdfunding source. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Big ugly clown. Oh, thank you, sir. He said, if we got the bloat and no big contracts out of the military spending, that's at least a hundred billion dollars extra to play around with infrastructure. Anyone? Oh. Uh, Wait, where are you? Yeah, Say right. that again. Wait, Sorry. That Sorry, he said, t Big Ugly Clowno, he said, if we got the bloat and the no big contracts out of the military spending, that's at least $100 billion extra dollars to play around with. Oh, I mean, yeah, we totally overspend on the military. Yeah. Uh, Toxic Man Flu says, the same thing was said about Japan the day before Pearl Harbor, how they are weak and incompetent. I'm amazed how much world history uh, people don't know. Yeah, but in my defense, they did crash all of those planes at Pearl Harbor, so I was not. <laughs> they certainly couldn't park, Josh. They didn't. They didn't <laughs> land any. I can't believe you went there. Too soon, Josh. <laughs> no, it's been seventy years already, Josh. But too soon. <laughs> uh, okay, that's the that's the, that's about as much of the economics as I can take before my brain starts. I think there's a bunch of super chats that I just want to make sure we've done that I've got on my list because okay. they, they're off the screen. Yeah, but I can't see can those. Just, I've got the list. Can you just correct me if I've, if we've already done it? Just interrupt me. Yeah. Um, Aaron Goodman says, after the Dr. Seuss book story, we had four weeks of daily news coverage of attacks on Asians, then suddenly silence. Am I the only one that finds this strange and suspicious? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, Alrighty. I mean... The, the, I don't know if it had anything to I didn't necessarily tie all the articles about attacks on Asians to the Dr. Seuss story. I think those just happened around the same time. But the fact that we got a concerted like a narrative push from the media uh, stop Asian hate, there's all these white supremacist attacks against Asians I think that was very calculated and I think that I think they did that in part because they had been shifting the narrative to such a degree um, that they're they've been calling Asian people white adjacent that they have something called white proximity, whiteness proximity. This is a new phrase of theirs. And basically basically lumping Asians in with white people as in be, are you laughing? Being in the group awesome. of, of oppressors. And, whiteness and, proximity. Uh, whiteness proximity. And I think they probably have seen some backlash from this. I think that they're, you know, there's the Asian American lawsuit against Harvard for discrimination on the basis of race. I mean, Asians are awake to the fact that they're being discriminated against, like actual well, systemic racism um, at these elite universities and, and elsewhere. And so I think I think that narrative push that we saw was an attempt to try and get another identity group that they had recently maligned back on board, like <laughs> come back into the yeah. fold. I will say Asians in general. And I guess I'll speak specifically for Korea, Japan, and China, since I have experience in those three countries. The thing they don't share with white culture, there's a lot of things that are different, but one of the most important things for the social justice warriors is they're not ashamed of being Asian. So like, you can't shame a Chinese for being Chinese. Like they don't, right. they're like, well, all right. like. Like they, they, they're they holding up signs in Berkeley, like Asian silence is violence. And the Asians are like, like, I'm not going to feel bad about it. Like, F you. Like, they don't they don't care. It's only the white people who are like, I'm so sorry that I'm white. It doesn't work on anyone else. 
I'll well, it works what because it, they have an what? immense amount of suppressed white guilt. You know, most of those <laughs> – yeah. it's like I always use this example, the story of like – I think it was a GQ article that Mark Wahlberg did, and he goes, you know, we just have so much to do. And then he tells the story about lynching an Asian kid when he was a like a preteen. He's like, we all have those stories. And I was like, I don't have that story, Mark Wahlberg. I don't have that story about <laughs> right. about beating the shit out of an Asian kid when I was in school. So uh, you're on your own on that one, buddy. That's yeah. so – can I point out something? That's so classic, Josh. That's what they do. They take they take their own – I think a lot of people who easily fall into wokeness, they do have probably have a lot of prejudice and that they just like to extrapolate that and share it with a group of – an entire group of people. And so they it, it relieves them of that personal burden of responsibility for their prejudiced views or things that they've done in the past. So Robin DeAngelo does that in her book, White Fragility. She talks about having racist, prejudiced views – about how she went to a picnic and didn't want to sit with the black women. And then it's like, oh, but all white people are like this. No, no. And um, what's his face? No, they tell uh, themselves a, to feel better yeah. about it. And it's like, no, yes. you're a horrible person. We're not with you. <laughs> yes. Morgan Spurlock, he did the same thing. He's another food guy. He did, uh, when he did his Me Too confession to every horrible thing he'd ever done to a woman, at the end he was like, we men, men, us, we men. Right. No. Yeah. Speak for yourself, buddy. Yeah, I've I've right. I haven't done half of those things, Morgan. I don't even care for women. <laughs> <laughs> I try to avoid speaking to them at all costs. Oh, we've cycled back round to your libertarian. Uh... <laughs> I wish I had a drum set. <laughs> uh... All right, let's do another super chat. Liberty Solution says captain of the ship stuck in Suez should get an award for doing more to fix the U.S. trade imbalance than anything Trump managed to do or Obama. <laughs> this is a, it's maybe a little bit of an esoteric point, but uh, yeah, the idea of a trade imbalance itself is kind of this stupid idea to care about what a trade imbalance is. And Keith's right, or the Liberty Solutions, which who is Keith, is right. Like, well, we did fix the trade imbalance. We stopped, we stopped importing goods for a while. Yay. How'd that feel? Uh, Penumbra Syndicate says, I saw a car theft in daylight in front of the owner in Austin last week. Austin Police Department didn't even respond. Inflation and societal collapse equals control and dependence. Yeah. Wow. Um, Austin is going down the crapper. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's. I don't go down uh, there very much anymore because it's just... I'm, I'm actually moving even further north um, because it, it, <laughs> you're, getting, it, you're getting farther away. Yeah, it reminds me so much of uh, Skid Row in Los Angeles. It reminds me of the area of L.A. where they cleared out all the homeless people for the Oscars so they could then give give the Oscar to a movie about a homeless woman. That Somebody brought that up in our, our video. <laughs> they did that. They cleared all the homeless encampments. Was this, encamp it was like in away. Hollywood at Man's Chinese Theater or where? Where'd they clear no, it out? No, this year it was at Union Station. Oh, and so they okay. spent a few days moving all the homeless people along and then did the ceremony there and gave the Oscar to a movie about homelessness. <laughs> uh all right. Francis Montgomery says, video recommendation. I would appreciate it if Unsafe Space would do a video or topic in a live stream regarding the philosophical undertones of the Mark of the Beast, 666. I don't know much about it. Maybe, but Carrie might. 
know about we can talk about I it. I don't know anything about that, but I want to watch that movie that fire that I used to make fun of when I was not a Christian with Kirk Cameron. I think it's about what the movie? Mark of the Beast. I don't he had some oh. movie that all the Christians liked and now that now I wonder if I would actually like that movie. I don't know. <laughs> it was about like <laughs> yeah, the end that's, of the there's world. Like a- there, I've seen a, isn't there like a documentary about the numerology of the Mark of the Beast and they basically unpack where 666 lives in all of these other numbers that are prominent throughout American history I mean it's, those are people have too much time on their hands <laughs> yeah. I don't know but I want to go down that rabbit hole one day <laughs> you could do that with almost any number but okay Little Ragamuffin says government hates the entrepreneurial spirit why because they don't like independent people slash thought and then she says, hi, Marie. Hey, little rigamuffin. Um, Azor says, Biden is saying we the people means the government was fun. I hope maybe fun is a abbreviation for something. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Penumbra Syndicate says the 10th Amendment codifies federal powers as enumerated. Oh, you did that one. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think we're Xander M. We, ca- we did that one. Okay. Did we do Sean Brady? Oh, yeah, we did. Yeah, we're we did good. that. I think we're good. Uh, wait, no. I, oh. We have, I have like 15 of them. So oh, okay. hold on. Penumbra Syndicate says, Carter's 100% correct. I've been in classes where professors pretend like the 10th Amendment was unknown, but you can read their debates. Uh, yeah, you can. You can go read the debates. Um, I think they, they're probably part of the Federalist Papers and the Anti-Federalist Papers. I think it's part, partly in there. Sean Brady says, if you're a grown adult, you should be ashamed that you're an we Uber got, driver or work of a dog. Yeah, oh, we, we already did that read. <laughs> Sorry. Roger, enjoying this conversation. Hold, hold, hold on a second. Back that one up. If you're a grown adult, what, where do you live where your Uber drivers are all children? That sounds creepier to me. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. What do you, what do you mean? What do you mean? Pulled, it was a gown. You it was a gown adult. You couldn't tell. <laughs> right. What are, you, what are you being pulled by a 13-year-old in a rickshaw? I have questions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, here's another question for you, or a comment about you. Kyle gives us five bucks and says, we're not your fans, Denny. We do not like you. Plane crash, liar, Uber driver, plane crash, liar, Uber driver. So hey, very, sounds, like a, sounds like a real sweet guy. Thanks for the five bucks, Kyle. Most of that was in caps. Uh, all yeah, caps. No, he, he, no so, he seems like a well-adjusted individual. And he, and he plays some yeah, kind of seems instrument. seems like a nice guy. Yes. Yeah, By the cool. way, I mean, I like you, Josh, but who the fuck are you? Why do these people focus on you? <laughs> like, it, you're not like a senator. Like, what are you doing that? Like, you know, it's really you know important it to them that they get this guy. Yeah, <laughs> like, you know, it's it's I'll, I'll tell you what it is. It's like in, in a lot of ways, I think it's because I, you know, like I I call my shots. Right. I'm just like, listen, I'll control what I can control. Uh, and what I can control is my attitude and my mentality and where I focus my energy. And so I think these people get mad when you give them no time and no energy and no attention. And, you know, it doesn't matter. It's like, like I said, like if you if you are going to spend five dollars, this is like, you know what I liken it to? It's like people that subscribe to a girl on OnlyFans to tell her that she's ugly. Like, think about how much of a <laughs> fucking loser you have to be to do that. And that's basically what it is. So I'm like. I'm like a fat girl that they need to tell is ugly that they can't stop masturbating to. That's fine. It's nice to be liked. 
I just learned a word last night in an interview with um, the quartering. It was called stand culture. And he was using that phrase to talk about these different, really obsessive fan cultures that develop around stars. I think he said, like Nicki Minaj, for example, they're called the, like the Barbaras or the Barbs or something. They're the, the, the super fans of these different personalities. And I kind of think, because this is the second time we've had you on and they do follow you around just to do hate comments. It's like you have your own anti-fan group. It's, yes. it's really funny. They they need like matching jackets or something, but it's like anti-stan culture. It's stan culture. I mean, they are fans in a way because they go wherever you go, but it's this sort of, they're fueled with a different kind of uh, emotion. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they you, see you. Could, like I said, you can unpack, you could try to unpack it psychologically all day long, but like I've now I've met like a handful of these guys and boy, am I not impressed. So it's sort of like, you know, it's it's one of those things like the the idea of giving it any of my mental energy is so cringy to me that you know you just have to ignore it. And unfortunately, that makes them more angry. And then they, they wade into the waters and you know it kind of like hijacks shows like yours right now and other people's shows I go on. But you know, it is what it is. It comes with the territory, right? I, it's like I, uh, I just love the Josh. I just love the fact that this is such a rich source from a comedy perspective to mine it just they make your jo job really easy i mean you yeah so, i mean go ahead go ahead what were you gonna say carter i was actually gonna say something but carrie actually read my mind i was saying like oh, you don't have to I, just, I, i'm just... like i'm ambivalent about whether to ignore them or not at this point so i think i'm just gonna move on and ignore them because like i mean also, it's tiring. A, it was fun for a while, but it's now it's tiring. Yeah, and so. we don't always have time to get to every super chat anyway. I don't mind reading some of them. It's just um, I yeah. hate breaking up the flow of conversation to go through all the old ones and repeat some yeah. of them. And so anyway, um, the Biden yeah. here's one from hindquarters. The Biden administration ran on legalizing weed and now claims it's too busy. Denny pressured his house. <laughs> <laughs> he totally fell for that. I was like, Carrie's not going to fall for that, are you? By the way, yeah, by the way so this, no, this one, this one actually, this one, this one actually is interesting. This one actually is interesting because this is one of their new ones. The one of the new ones now is because I because I go on a lot of conservative shows is they want to bring up this time where I talked on a podcast about pressuring uh, my housekeeper into getting an abortion. Uh, and because they're like, now I'm pro-life. And it's like, yeah, I'm on the record for saying when I was younger, and Carrie, you could probably back me up on this. When I was younger and very liberal, I had no problems with abortion. I didn't want kids. I, I still don't want kids. Uh, my perspective on it has changed. I've been pretty vocal about that. But it is funny how this in their mind is sort of an I got you. And by the way, I don't know that you got the abortion. So there's a very good chance uh, that there's a little half Latino me running around somewhere. Are you, are you um, pro-life now? Yeah, I definitely am. Oh, interesting. Why did you yeah. why did you come to that or how did you come to that change of opinion on it? That's a conversation I want to have soon with one of our other friends who's been on the show, Samuel Say, cuz he's pro-life. And it was it a religious thing for you or Not at all. No, I'm I, I definitely am not a religious person in that regard, but I, you know, I kind of came about the the change in perspective, the change in mindset talking with somebody that I didn't agree with and listening to their points. And they kind of convinced me just from the perspective of, you know, going back to like what Carter said about the constitution, if the constitution grants three basic freedoms in the bill of rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, it's kind of hard for somebody to have an opportunity to get any of that if they're not even given the opportunity to live. 
And uh, and if you look at that person as an individual uh, who is, you know, uh, arguably like an American citizen born here in the U.S. has a right to those things um, and you're denying them their rights, then it's kind of it's an unconstitutional thing. Right. And people go, well, when you're in somebody else's body or their property, it's like, yeah, but if somebody's in my house, that's my property and I don't have the right to murder them for my own convenience either. So. It really was like uh, we debated this. The comic's name is Adam Yenzer. He's a conservative comedian who's actually a writer for Ellen, uh, which oh, wow. doesn't get talked about enough because people want to talk about how bad of a person Ellen is. But she's actually one of the only people in Hollywood that employs an openly conservative writer on her staff. Oh, and wow. um, and you know, we debated it back and forth, kicked it back and forth. I was like, dude, you're right. You're right. And, and to me, it's like if, if government has a responsibility to protect its citizens, then, you know, how can you have legislation or laws that makes it okay to kill other citizens for the convenience of other citizens, right? So, uh, you know, it's, it's, I don't, I wouldn't say it's a perfect argument, but it definitely convinced me and, and changed my perspective. And it's like, listen, if we're going to have speed limits because it saves more people, but we're going to let people murder whoever they want in the womb, you know, that's, it's, it's kind of contradictory, right? And to me, like, it doesn't, arguing about abortion doesn't really solve the problem because the problem isn't abortion, the problem is unwanted pregnancy. And yeah. so my, right. my issue is like, if we're debating about abortion, we're too late. We, we've, we're solving the problem after the problem. And the problem is, you know, I, I do think we have a moral obligation to, as a country, as culture, to say that, you know, killing unborn babies is wrong. But I also think if we're going to do that, we're going to draw a line in the sand and say, okay, it's illegal. We're going to protect the lives of our citizens. Then you have to make it damn near impossible for somebody to get pregnant if they don't want to, which means free birth control, free, you know, contraception options, those types of things, which I actually, again, think is a luxury we should take on as a taxpayer because we pay for those things on the back end with welfare and, you know, child tax credits and all of those additional things as well. So, you know, to me, it's it's like, it, again, if I were thinking of it as a politician, how would I run on it? It would be, you know, we shouldn't even be talking about abortion. We should be preventing all the unwanted pregnancies, and we should not ever have to come to the decision of, to abort unless there's like an actual medical, you know, issue that could potentially put someone's life at risk. And then it's the doctor has the same Hippocratic oath that they do with everyone is it's the old uh, analogy of, okay, if, uh, you know, if you have to, you know, what is it, the train analogy, right? So if five people die and, you you know, who do you save the one person? You know, I, I don't remember the analogy. I'm, uh, I'm all over the board with it right now. But but you understand my point is one. like, yeah, yeah. It's, the, trolley, it's, uh, the trolley car. Yeah, yeah. So, so to me, it's like, I think those are... are there are those exceptions, but the problem with those arguments about abortion is what about rapes and what about incest? And it's like, yeah, that makes up less than 1% of what we're talking about. And including Plan B as a part of the rape kit, to me, encourages reporting these crimes when they happen. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I feel like when we debated it, Adam and I, back and forth, we had plenty of um, we had plenty of plans for all the exceptions that come up in argument against it that I thought were sufficient. And then it's the question, it's just the moral question of, do you want to have exceptions around when it's okay for people to decide who they get to kill? And I do think that's a slippery slope. And I do think, you know, is there a correlation between how open and, and how pro-abortion we've become as a culture? Um, and then how easy it is for somebody to turn a gun on a crowd of people these days? I don't know that those things are too far removed. I think in America, we have... Um, 
we don't value life the way we did maybe a hundred years ago. And maybe that's because we haven't really fought a generational war in the last 30 years. I mean, we've had these far conflicts, but nothing like Vietnam, nothing like World War II. And so I think in a lot of ways, we culturally take life for granted. And I think the more loose we get with abortion, that's, that's pushing us in the wrong direction morally as a culture. Wow. Well, thank you for that. I mean, I don't meet a lot of people who've, who've actually changed their position on something that so, uh, can get so heated and so controversial after having a debate and a discussion. And like you said, you started that off by saying, well, I had a debate with someone I disagree with and I listened to their arguments. <laughs> that doesn't happen and a they lot. <laughs> and they changed my mind. And by the way, it's like I've paid for abortions. So I'm not saying like I had this belief since I was a kid and I've never wavered. Like I've paid for, I paid for two of them. Uh, mm -hmm. And who knows how many others I was party to that I didn't know about. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's when you're 20 and you're, you're looking at the immediate world in front of your face and you're not thinking existentially and you're not thinking uh, as philosophically and you're not thinking about your values. Like when I was 21 years old, I didn't have values about anything. My values were, you know, when's my paycheck coming in and, you know, what girl am I chasing after this time? It, 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 your life is nothing when you're in your early 20s. You don't think about things like that. And, and while I'm not somebody who has kids yet, I am at the age where all my friends have kids. And, I, and then you look at all these amazing stories of people that were adopted who have gone on to have these amazing lives and be with families who can't have children. It's like, I think that's a much better alternative uh, than the, the, you know, the human garbage processing disposal plant that has become the regular you know, status quo of abortion in America. My issue with it is, I mean, because I'm still pro-choice, pro but with a lot of conditions, and that's changed. I used to be, you know, vocally, when I was in the SJW world, just uh, abortion on demand, sort of, although I didn't call it that. But one of my problems with it is um, that they, what they told us and what I, I guess I thought I believed at the time was that our side, the pro-choice side, that we believed in making abortion safe, legal, and rare. And that's just not Correct. true. And that's, that's, and that's what true. we believed as well. But the, nobody yeah. wants to talk about the reality, which is it's become the solution for, oops, I'm yes. irresponsible. 90% yes, of abortions it's a, it's a, are abortion that. Has become, it's a, abortion has become a legitimate form of birth control for many societies. Correct. And that is Correct. not right. Right. And so to me, it's sort of like, you know, I, I listen, I'm not a woman. I'll never know what this feels like. But, you know, it's like I can tell you the first time you punch somebody is the hardest time you ever punch somebody in the face. And every veteran I've talked to has said the hardest life to take in combat is the first one. And they all get easier. And so I think if we live in a society where we let a lot of lives get taken very easily. I think, I think that has a psychological impact on us as a culture about how we value human life. And I think that has a far bigger impact on um, how we are to each other and, and some of the violence you see visited on other people than gun legislation, I'll tell you that. When we talk about the mental health issues in this country, the biggest one is a crisis of pur purpose and meaning. And when people lose purpose and meaning and you couple that with a desensitization to violence and murder, this is where we are as a culture. And so, I, you know, I, I think the cultural cost of being so flippantly open with abortion is a far bigger price than we realize we're paying. And so, you know, it's, that's more of a sort of 30,000 foot perspective on it. But 
No, I think you're right. I think we're very culturally very flippant. That's the right that's the right descriptive word for it is flip, flippant because it, it there is not there's this attitude of it being safe, legal and rare that that doesn't actually exist with people who are are pushing the pro-choice uh, position usually. It's usually um let's celebrate it's it's morphed into not just flippancy but celebration. So now in the past few years, I've seen a lot of um, social justice feminists who are pushing this like shout your abortion campaign and, uh, you know, celebrate your abortion. There was the, the I think it was Samantha B. Was it, the, was she the late night host Carter that had the abortion episode where they did like a celebration of abortion? And I it, don't know. I thought she was the pregnant one. Um, I've got to, I'll look that one up or maybe someone in chat can tell me. But just culturally, I think we've gotten to a really dark place when it comes to this topic. But well, I well and, I, and this is the thing, the one that, bo- oh, sorry, I was going to say, the, just the closing, the one that bothers me the most is when people go, it's the hardest decision a woman will ever have to make. And I go, I, I, I wish that were true. But I can tell you, based off the attitude I see from a lot of women that have gotten them, it's not. A lot of them get in, they don't care. They don't see it as a life because enough people have told them it's just a clump of cells. Meanwhile, they'll tell you that their dog is a human and can understand what they say to them. Uh, but, a, you know, a human fetus is just a clump of cells and it's not a person until it comes out and it has thoughts or whatever. You know, the mental gymnastics that people do to justify their point on it is absurd. And, um, you know, so just sort of shutting that down, it's like, uh, I wish it were the worst decision a woman has to make, but that's not how it feels when you talk to women getting them today. And to your point, Carrie, they're they're having parties, they're celebrating it. It's a badge of honor culturally now, and it, I think that's pretty gross. One of the things I, that always amazes me is for an ideology that is so puritanical, and they are puritanical, they have these really interesting selective caveats on what they will support. And abortion is one of them. Um, Legalisation of so many drugs, like marijuana is, is another, you know, they, they it's like this massive juxtaposition between you must say this, you must do this, and, and they try and confine you into this massive purity spiral on one hand, and yet they are completely hedonistic in another. And abortion, like, I'm like you, Carrie, I, I have... Um, I'm pro-life, but with a lot of caveats. And it changes, you know, when you try and start a family, I've got two two teenagers now, but I had, um, you know, it's five miscarriages to get those children. And it, you know, losing every single one of those was devastating. You know, it hurts. And when you try to start a family or have a family and you, and you, and it's not easy, is when you actually realise how precious that that is and the ability you know just to sort of casually sort of throw away well my body my choice it's a clump of cells we were in a situation that our fertility was affected by a genetic cause we were faced with the fact that i had to have amnios and there was a very high possibility that we would have had to make a decision about aborting that pregnancy that we tried so hard to 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 take to term um, based on an extreme genetic um, malformation and actually having a child that really isn't a child. And and to be faced with all of those questions 
it's tough. And as Josh said, you know, if they claim that if they're getting to a point in society where they can actually just walk in and, and, and abort a child and just believe that this should be celebrated and this is easy and it's wonderful, to me is really, really sad. We've just legalised in this country, we did it during COVID actually, under urgency. I don't know why this was urgent under COVID, I really don't. But they legalised a 40-week abortions. So you could abort a child right up until the day before it was born. Oh my God. I'm sorry. Yeah. That for me, that's murder. Yeah. That is out and out murder. It's, I agree well, with you there. And, I, and I think the one same. of the, can I say one thing real quick? I think one of the biggest discrepancies I see in their opinion about human life and, and what you're talking about, Josh, with it being, they view it as a clump of cells. And I've seen that. I've seen the most callous, disgusting comments that people will make. That, that that words and phrases they'll use to refer to uh, a, a fetus or a baby that's not yet born, and um, but I think one of the biggest like it's cognitive dissonance maybe one of the biggest hypocrisies I see and I can't really understand is their attitude when it's a miscarriage versus an abortion. So if you see a celebrity, for example, and there have been a few recently who've shared the pain. Yeah, Chrissy, Chrissy Teigen. There you go, and the, and they rightfully I think express deep condolences and they seem to gather how hard that is and how painful that is for the person who's experiencing it. And yet they don't, and, but, but what are they, what are they, what are they offering condolences for there? Do they view it as a human life that's lost? Or is it just that you went through the pain of not getting the baby you wanted and they're not viewing yeah. it as like a life lost? Yeah. Do you think, do you think Chrissy wanted to watch a couple girls high five their abortions after that happened? You know, that that was a pretty traumatic thing to watch somebody go through very publicly. And, um, you know, it, it is amazing to me, like you said, the mental gymnastics of that you can grieve somebody who goes through that and then turn around and high five your friend for being loose and not using birth control and just going and getting an abortion. So, you know, it's just it's it, we don't stop and think about like, well, why why is it OK that I'm cool with one and not the other? You know what I mean? And I, and I, I look at that and go, yeah, that's horrible. And and. For me, who has a lot of gay friends who have recently gotten married and want to have families, and they have a five-year waiting list, two-year waiting list to get a baby adopted, it's like, what are we doing? I mean, so we go back to the economic conversation of supply and demand. If there are loving parents in this country that can't have babies and want them, why are we throwing them in the fucking trash? Yeah, I don't want to wade into the abortion discussion right now because I feel like it's a rabbit hole that could take three hours. But I will point out something that, uh, you know, you early on, Josh, you said, well, we have to subsidize birth control, which I don't agree with. We have to subsidize birth control because if we don't, we'll end up paying for it on the back end. The problem is that we're paying for it on the back end. And what you're highlighting is the slippery slope of getting the government involved in stuff once once and you actually talked about it with healthcare once the government's involved in healthcare they suddenly suddenly we all care when my tax dollars are used to subsidize your healthcare suddenly i care about how many times you go to the gym and how much fast food you eat and i shouldn't care i shouldn't have to care it's none of my business how often you go to the gym or how much fast food you eat but it becomes hey, Carter, my business I'm, I'm if i'm subsidizing your, your health care I'm blowing what? your tax dollars, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but the, I think the same thing is can be said for like, well, we shouldn't be 
all, all these programs that you're talking about, like they shouldn't be funded by taxpayer dollars either. So you're you're now you spent a bunch of money, and then you're and then you say, well, these unwanted kids cost us a bunch of money that we shouldn't have spent in the first place. So now we have to spend more money to make sure that we don't have to spend the other money later. Uh, like it's that's what happens when the government starts getting involved. I uh, hold on, sorry, I was muted. I can't disagree with you on that. I get that point. I totally get it. I'm just saying, you know, in a, in a weird way with some of these things that I propose, like it, you can't even really look at them in the vacuum of how government functions today, because so many of these things are based on the concept of, you know, you could make that decision to go, we'll make all this stuff available to people and we'll just foot the bill for it in the system we have today. Because to your point, you know, that people are going to overreach then with that control, right? And so we're talking about a radical overhaul of the way we govern. I guess my point is, is the access to birth control choices, contraception or whatever has to be readily available, affordable, not a barrier economically, before we can even get into the waters of the, the moral decision of do we draw a line in the sand and say it's never okay to kill a person, you know? And but so, it kind of is. You know, like the free market has made birth control pretty effing cheap. There's already charities up the wazoo. You can get condoms for free anywhere you want, basically. Like it's all over the place. It already is affordable. It's not that expensive to get on birth control. And, and I also look at this too as a conditioning that we've had over the what last 30 or 40 years where we've become to rely on nanny state so much that almost nanny state has usurped personal responsibility. You know, look at pregnancy. Where is the personal responsibility in this? And it sounds like Josh, your twenties were wild, um, at least from a personal. <laughs> not, not really. No. Point. <laughs> yeah, that's a, I don't think I can live up to wild, but maybe irresponsible. Right? Be yeah. Term, I yes. mean, where where is that personal responsibility? And I mean, whether it be with abortion, in terms of that personal responsibility, may fall in the form that um, you with the, the, the partner you had, you you sat down, you paid for an abortion because that was the option for you at the time. All the personal responsibility is is well, okay. I got myself in this situation, so therefore well, to, I'm going to have this baby. And to but be honest, in those cases. Is, it, it was disappearing. I was, yeah, I was going to say in those cases, it, it really was never posed to me as a moral question because the woman had said, I'm doing this. I've made up my mind. So, and I expect you to pay for it. So I never really in those moments ever actually got to go, you know, I don't know about this. And then, you know, the housekeeper story, which is a long story we'll save for another time. But that was the first time where uh, having a conversation there was back and forth and give and take. And you know, the, the me convincing her, which is saying like, listen, I don't love you. And I, you're not a person I want to raise a family with. I mean, it was just being honest. And, um, you know, and so that led to her making the choice to not go forward with the pregnancy. If that's me talking somebody out of it, then I guess I'm guilty. But, um, but yes, it, uh, to be honest, in hindsight, you never know at the time, but it's like, it, I can think of one girl specifically when I was like 23 that if she said, like, I do love you and I want to keep this baby and we're going to have a family, I probably would have done it. I probably would have taken that responsibility. And, and if I were really kind of given the choice or felt like I had an opinion, I, I might have exercised it a little more freely. But I guess and it's, it's sort of like conveniently revisionist for me to say that now because it didn't happen. But she was very much like I did this. I took care of it. Uh, you know, I, I have the appointment scheduled. I don't want you to be there. I just want you to pay for it. And it was like, we never even had the conversation about what the right thing to do was. And I guess my concern is that I think that's more often the predicament than the one I had later in life 
where the woman, you know, the Mexican woman was like, well, I don't believe in it. So I don't think that's an option, whether you love me or not. So there was some back and forth, right? I don't think that happens enough uh, to really make people question, like, is this the right thing to do? I, I don't even think we ask ourselves that. I think people just willy-nilly are like, oh, we'll just dump it out. A lot of people treat it like a getting your tonsils taken out with that much thought and planning. I think. Well, and a lot of young women yeah. don't realize it negatively impacts their ability to have kids later. And they find out later on that it, that the number of abortions they had ha is preventing them from getting pregnant. Um, Wait, I, I do want to break this up and say the funniest thing, there was a comment that just came over and says, Josh Denny was caught on hidden camera stealing candy from a banquet hall. Guilty. Let's lighten it up a little bit, guys. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I know. That was one of the troll things I actually wanted to read because I was like, that's a good one. If, if there is free candy out, I will take it. You've been warned. Some of your uh, your fan club is pretty funny. I have to say that one that got me to read it earlier because they'll put something in there about what we're talking about, and then the last sentence will be like, "Justin, he's dumb." But the first thing will be, you know, it was a well oh, yeah, they're, craft, they're crafty. They'll they're get crafty. you. They know how to get you. Yeah, <laughs> that made that was really funny. I have to give it up to you previous previous guy there was one other super chat here i wanted to hit tps thank you sir says what government pays for government controls mm. See, yeah. there's some right very which is which is carter's point which is totally the problem with any of these these sort of uh pie in the sky ideas that i proposed is that the the control will immediately over uh overshadow the benefits the way our government works today yeah i i Something so simple like that, what government pays for, government controls, there's, I don't know what it is, there's some kind of disconnect that a lot of people have. It, that sounds so common sense and obviously that makes sense, And it's, but it's the sort of statement that it can take some people their whole lifetime to understand. And, and that's why I think, it's, I don't know, I think it's always important to keep in mind, there are people who watch our show who are in in different kinds of echo chambers. Maybe I know there's some social justice echo chamber people who watch us and um, and I think I think it's important to explain some of these concepts even though it may seem like you're explaining it to dunces. Uh, just imagine, but here's I'll my, be, but here's I'll be my, that dunce, I'll be that dunce. <laughs> but, but here's my pushback about that. While I agree with you when they say what government pays for government controls, correct. But why does it have to be that way? Like you pay your utility bill, you don't get to tell the utility company how to run the company, do you? So you know, it, I do think yeah. we have to yeah, go you more do, to share. How you? so? Yeah, I mean, let's take let's not use the utility because it's a, a regulated industry, but let's take any let's my, take a more free market. That's my point. It's not free market at all. Well, th then you can't use then you can't say, <laughs> well, it doesn't have to work that way. Like, well, the utility is like. You don't, you don't pay, you pay your taxes, but you're not like a volu you don't have a choice in paying the utility. That's why you don't get a say, because you don't have a fucking choice. Right. There's no other, there's one utility company that serves your area and the government has made it a monopoly and they're not allowed to be another one. So that's why you don't right. have control. Right. I just, I sorry, I just have to say, I love the fact that you get me on here, Carter. Is that, but do you, did you get me as a guest so you could drop three F-bombs and know that I can't swear, are you? Is that why I'm here? Yeah, I'm, getting, I'm letting it all out today <laughs> so, so that you don't have to contribute to the swear jar. Uh, although I, I do I expect do a shipment like of chocolate gets... sometime soon. I'm, I'm kidding. I, I, I do feel like when I'm on... <laughs> 
I was gonna say, I do feel like when I'm on, Carter gets fired up. <laughs> and no, know, it's, it's, fu it's fun because you're an animated person to talk to and you've got strong opinions so we can banter. I mean, I'm going to cycle things back around to, to personal responsibility again, because one of the things I hear often is, you know, people get, will get angry and they go, oh, the government government needs to do something about this. And I am never going to go to the government for the solution on anything. You know, if, you, if you're not happy about something, you change it. And it might, the change might be something really small or it might be something really big. But if there is something that you don't like, fix it. You know, fix it in your own life. Fix it in your own community. Gosh, whatever you do, do not rely on a government to do anything. And whether it be a local government, a federal government, a state government, it's to me, they are not the solution. I mean, if you need to fix anything, fix yourself, fix, fix it yourself, you know. Um, whether it's finding some courage or um, doing something small that you can do at home, it doesn't need to be big. But the minute you start exercising um, your courage muscle, your self-individual muscle, your, you know, all of those elements, it's like anything. It just grows stronger. I, I mean, I haven't gotten successful from a work, a business or a career aspect because I've waited for the government to pay for anything, because I've waited for the government to to provide subsidies. I've gone out and uh, I haven't driven Uber, but <clears throat> boy, I've, you know, I've washed plenty of dis um, dishes and backs of restaurants and yeah. had multiple jobs, uh, you know, delivering milk and I, I mean, all the different jobs that I had, because at the end of the day, if I wanted to achieve something where I wanted to get there, I wasn't going to rely on a government to get there. I was going to do it my bloody self. Thank you very much. And I just, I'm instilling in my sons that if you want to achieve anything, it's not going to be handed to you. Yeah. This, it's, this and ties if something in, goes wrong, you know, sorry. Well, no, this ties in nicely to, there are two more articles I sent Carter, um, somewhat related to what we are talking about at the beginning and what you're talking about now, which is not relying on the government handouts and, you know, taking personal responsibility. And that, that initial Facebook conversation that we were looking at, where the woman was saying, you know, well, if your business doesn't pay enough to make it worth people's while, well, there's been a lot of articles recently about how small business owners who took a big hit during the pandemic, they're now opening up again and they can't find people to work for them. Ooh. And so there's an article in NPR, uh, that one came out in February. There's another one I sent him that just came out this month, but this is the NPR when millions are out of a job, yet some employers wonder why can't I find workers? And then I'll just read it from the, from the beginning. It says, at a time when millions of Americans are unemployed, businessman Bill Martin has a head-scratching problem. He's got plenty of jobs, but few people willing to take them. Quote, I keep hearing about all the unemployed people, Martin says. I certainly can't find any of those folks. End quote. Martin helps run MA Industries, a plastics manufacturing company in Peachtree City, Georgia. The company makes products used in the medical industry, specifically in things like coronavirus tests and vaccine manufacturing and development. But as he struggles to keep up with demand, Martin is finding it almost impossible to find new workers. Um, and then scrolling on down, it talks about, uh, you know, some industry, industries are thriving and eager to hire, which should be, a wel should be welcome in an economy that has recovered only a little over half of the 22 million jobs lost during the coronavirus pandemic. Um, data from the Labor Department this month, for example, showed job openings at a five-month high. Um, the problem is, this is further down, that a lot of those openings are in industries that require in-person work, 
like construction, delivery services, or warehousing, exactly the types of jobs now being shunned by many Americans in the midst of a fearful pandemic. So I won't read the rest of this, but there's another piece um, called Where Are the Workers? Company can't, companies can't get enough help. And then the, the uh, subtitle here is Restaurants and Small Businesses Struggle to Hire. And it's along the same lines. It's talking about help wanted signs, um, how even when they uh, that even when they think they've gotten someone for a job that you, they can't get people to actually show up. A lot of this this article, they've interviewed people in the restaurant industry. And, and I don't have to read this one specifically, Carter, but I, wa- I wondered if we could just talk about what's happening here for a second, because my gut reaction on this is is based on anecdotal evidence. It's just based on conversations I've had with friends, people I know, I think there are a lot of people who've just gotten used to the unemployment coming in every month, not having to leave their house. This isn't all people, but I think there's there's plenty of people now who, um, when they look at, well, I could go and I could do that job, or I could continue sitting here and collecting unemployment, they'd rather sit and collect the unemployment. I mean, is that... Am yeah, I, being, I mean, I uncharitable uh no i think that there is see now that is uh and finding staff is probably one of my number one headaches um finding staff and managing staff and i am so blessed that we have an incredible team both at our mill our store and also across at our hospital we but boy you know trying to find particularly the mill the mill would be a really great example as we've I mean, the mill has the busiest it's been in 30 years. We've had uh, a number of vacancies and it has been so difficult to find people. And I mean, bearing in mind here in New Zealand, I mean, it's like we're in a position where we're almost 100% back to normal um, from a pandemic point of view, um, other than the fact that it's you can't, we're in a hermetically sealed bubble and as a country, you can't really move in between in and out but everything on the ground is like type 100 normal so we have been struggling to find staff and you advertise and you advertise and so many of them have because our welfare is really strong we have a much stronger welfare state than what you do in the u.s we pay for more benefits you have more accessibility to benefits you have more accessibility to housing um you know, one of the things that New Zealand from a socialist perspective has always done is look after those that they feel that are unable to look after themselves, which is a really uh, nice thing to do. And and, And it feels like a really moral thing to do. But the economic cost of that, of course, is you get people that instead of it being the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff, it becomes the everyday expectation. So when jobs and opportunities arise, um, they will have the, the, the state saying to them, well, you need to go out and you need to look for work. So they will turn up, they will put applications into us, they may even get to, to have an interview. And when we say to them questions like, the shift starts at 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. or 3.30 p.m., they look at you and they're like, like 7 in the morning. Like, wow. I have to be here. It's like, well, yes. Well, they're not interested in that. Uh, because we're a manufacturing business, in order to get insurance for injury and, uh, like, workers' compensation-type insurance, uh, we have to undertake random drug testing. 
it's it's the law so they have to consent you know we say to them look do you consent to have random drug testing well it's the minute they hear that the minute that we conduct random drug testing they don't even pursue because they know that they are not going to be able to pass a random drug test interestingly enough if you were to fail that random drug test you don't lose your job there is then a counseling cycle and other referrals that sort of happen but they just look at that and go oh, no i can't be bothered with that either the, the the whole desire that the get up and go that push to get that person off a couch into work is is just not there. And then on the other side of things, you have people I know generationally, um, particularly men, there are a number of men of a certain age, you know, sort of post 60, they're in that sort of zone before retirement, or they want to continue to work. A lot of them are struggling to find work because the work are in physical industries and they just, they know that they really, really, they will be struggling to get it and they will turn up for job after job after job of what they know that they're able to do and they're unable to fill them. So it's it's a real, it is really, really tough. And I know for us, it's trying to fight against the state to entice people back into work is really difficult when, you know, yeah. the state are paying as much as they're paying. I mean, they've, we've just had another minimum wage increase uh, for people watching minimum wage in New Zealand now is $20 an hour. Wow. Yeah, and we, and they are now looking at increasing uh, the beneficiary levels because that's not keeping pace with inflation. Well, you know, if the benefits are always going to increase, how are you going to entice people to come into work? We're getting to a point now that you know we're paying. Um, you know, we have we've had to move the all our staff's wages up because so many of them, there's a pride attached for a number of them not being on minimum wage. And they have, you know, increases based on seniority and how long they've, they've uh, worked there and the quality of their work. But then when you have the government, and it's gone up significantly, like I'm talking $5 and more than $5 in the last four, four or so years, uh, there you feel dreadful because you want to be able to, keep them having the pride in what it is that they mm -hmm. do and yet the government keeps shifting the goalposts on you and and then they turn around and they say well why is your product going up well it's going up because you've just increased our wage costs by 25 percent over the last five years you know th wow. this isn't rocket science it's yeah it's right. difficult it's really difficult and that's interesting because they're increasing the government's increasing the unemployment benefits because of inflation, but by increasing yeah. the government benefits, they're making inflation worse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? Carter, am I understanding this right? Or no? Kinda, sure. Kinda. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, to me, the most disappointing thing is that, so I, I mean, I don't know, I've been in the workforce for, I guess I'm not really in the workforce now, but uh, I was for like, you know, 25, 30 years, I don't know, 25 years. Uh, it's always been, finding people has always been the hardest part of any job. Yeah. Like no matter what, I was a cryptographer. Finding people was the hardest job. I ran a crappy music startup that didn't go anywhere. Still, finding people was the hardest job. Like yeah. it, like everything is, it's always finding people and 
unemployment doesn't seem to like, I guess it has an effect if there's a lot of people out there. But I think the fundamental problem is we've got a hell of a lot of people who aren't even worth minimum wage. Like they go through 12 years of government school and they're not actually even worth, they don't know how to do enough of anything to be worth minimum wage. That's a problem. Yeah. It's the difficult, I mean, because as an employer, I mean, I take really seriously um, the health and well-being, like the mental health and well-being of our employees. I want to, if they're going to be giving up so much of their time to spend in your business, you want right. them to feel fulfilled while they're there, you know, and particularly when it comes to things like mill work, I mean, it's, you know, you're in a factory, it's noisy, it's smelly, it's hot, it's not... You know, it's not the sort of thing that you're going to be signing up to and go, yes, I want to go and work in a spinning mill. That's what my career has in for me. You know, you, you want to make sure that you can provide them camaraderie with other people that they're there. You want them to at least feel that they're valued. Yeah. You know, like, and all of those sorts of things. So you work really hard to uh, find a mix of people, provide them an environment where they can do that. You, do You do it safely for them so they you know they're not going to be injured or hurt and so there are a certain level of certain standards that you have to maintain I mean you're not just going to employ somebody and look New Zealand it's really difficult you can't like the minute you actually employ somebody um, if they don't perform it's very very difficult to then um, let them go it's you know you it's the process once you've hired someone to actually uh, cease their employment is really tough really really yeah. tough so making that decision to employ that person in the first place is a huge decision you know you ha how are they going to fit in the team how do you think they're going to cope with the rigors of the work um how long are they potentially going to stick around for you know you have to weigh up all these different things because the cost of training somebody even in a manufacturing role is that there is a cost again on time. And time is one of those really tangible things that people forget about. You know, when you're in a business, any anything that involves time and staff costs money. And it's the one thing, because it's such an intangible thing, that you don't actually necessarily factor in. And we, I mean, I spend a huge amount of time trying to make sure that we get the right mix, the right staff, that we have staff that are happy, that we, um, that we look after them, that we're... Uh, authentic and genuine about who these people are and that we appreciate what they do. And that, that's us, you know, not all businesses are like that, bigger bigger businesses aren't. But if you like that and you can keep that staff retention, that's fantastic. But boy, it's so tough finding that right person. It's like finding the right um, key that will unlock a, unlock a door. Yeah. And yeah. we put a huge yeah. amount of time into it, we, you know, from every single role. And because when you think about it, if, particularly if you work in the business, you're spending a lot of time with these people. And if you don't get, it's like a marriage. If you don't get that relationship right, it can, you know, it can really unbalance a business, particularly a small business. So mm -hmm. it's, there's yeah. so think, many I different I think here, yeah. though, is in, in the States, I guess, I guess what I was more interested in is there are people who I just know anecdotally, I, I want to talk about this this drain, this sort of these these spate of articles coming out about how people can't find enough employees. And in the in I've seen on Facebook, I've seen people saying, "I'm hiring. I've been hiring. This is my mm -hmm. company." Friends who are like, "If you know anyone, I can't get anyone to apply." And I know there's a friend of a friend who 
He's been drawing Texas unemployment all year. He's never worked in Texas, ever. <laughs> he moved here. He moved here from up north. Um, hasn't held a job, and and when the pandemic started, <clears throat> excuse me, started collecting unemployment from. All the people, you know, the taxpayers in this state who he has a lot of contempt for, by the way, because this this person is, you know, big Trump derangement syndrome. Everybody who voted for Trump, he believes is a white supremacist and you know, very vocal about his opinions and how he would run the world on social media, but doesn't work and takes mm. this Texas unemployment dollars like and, and you know, on every week or every month, whenever they come and and mostly spends it on alcohol. I know I'm, I know I'm personally judging this person, but I know other people who are just sort of like, it's like, they don't see anything wrong with that. There's, there's something missing in, in that kind of personality. I think there's something missing where, where's your sense of dignity? Mm. And you have the, and, and, and now I think there are people who maybe didn't, they didn't tend towards that. There were people who, um, did get a sense of dignity from work, even if it wasn't the best job, even if it's something Mm. like, people in the chat tried to disparage earlier, like working for Uber, who cares? That's a job. There's, there's, Ooh. there's dignity in that. Um, there were people who I think weren't of that guy's mentality who've now moved a little more comfortably in that position in towards that position where I think you are just seeing a, a lot more people now who've gotten comfortable with, well, it's the government's job to take care of me yes. each yeah. month. Yeah. And that well, job I mean, is look beneath at- me. Look at you know? the comment that you read earlier on Facebook saying, if you can make more money not working, then your business shouldn't has no business being in business or something yeah. to that effect. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. Well, uh, how could you possibly get money without doing something? What okay. what alternate universe do you live in in which like when, when you get resources and you don't do anything, it's not that nothing gets done. Someone else is doing it for someone you. Someone else is doing it. Like, yeah. it's, That's what, someone's doing the work. You're just not. You're yeah. a leech. And, um, this, and this, this guy's like, in particular, willing to take the, the proceeds of other people's work to live off of it, to hmm. live off of their tax dollars, and then to look down at them and insult them for their voting habits. You know, right. this is one of, I think this is one of the right. unseen costs of this pandemic. And, the, and it is that we have forced so many people's ideal of work into this environment, at home, behind a computer screen, and without face-to-face contact with other people. And it's actually bringing those, you know, bringing you back out into um, personalised work, into, into service areas or industries. But it's even more than that. I think it's um, the whole dignity of work, you know, the whole ethos as a society, because so many of our friendships and our communities are built and based around our employment, or they used to. You know, look at um, places like uh, police or the fire service or any of those jobs, you know, they have their own associations, their industries, their social clubs. They, they, um, the ones that are most successful, I think, I mean, Milton Hershey would be a classic example. I mean, the Batman built a freaking town for, you know, way back when to house all of his workers and create a community. And so much of your life is often will revolve around your work. And you've gone and taken that all away, stripped it thrown people into their homes, pop them up behind a screen to talk to somebody on Zoom. And that is now your community. And, and it's not right. It's not how we function as humans. It's it's not what we sh- how we should be functioning as humans. And you know what? Even if you're not in paid work, I know so many people 
Uh oh, did she just freeze? Oh, we got a new I don't think her freeze. point was that she knows a lot of people. I think there was something more to this. We got uh, a, cold, a cold front coming in from New Zealand. It, you're frozen. Well, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring yeah. up something that Lutra23 said in chat because I want to clarify something. She said, um, "It's not it's not about not knowing enough. It's about consistency and work ethic." And when I said that, yeah. uh, when I talked about 12 years of, of government education and they're not worth minimum wage when they get out, um, I I wasn't meaning the knowledge that they have. I mean those are the like showing up on time, being responsible, like. Yeah having a work ethic ideally you would learn that not from school but no. if since we're basically not raising our kids throwing them at schools and hope and you know crossing our fingers and hoping that the school teaches them everything they need to know about life which is a problem with what we're doing anyway but you know if we're going to do that then the school should at least be teaching them hey here's how to hold down a job here's why a job matters um, here's how you can feel better about yourself. Doesn't productivity feel better than yeah, and you know the, sitting and on the, the couch receiving a check? One of the yeah. ways I think you can also teach it, because for me, all of these are actually skills. You know, work ethic is a yep. skill. It is something that you need to um, practice at. And in a small way to actually practice that, if you, don't, if you feel that, I mean, some people have anxiety about going out into work, particularly if they've been out of work for a really long time. Well, you know, volunteering volunteering when you actually look at most volunteers most of those volunteers are really busy people you know they do so much with their life but they will dedicate time to volunteer for a cause and volunteering I think is a great way of actually giving you some purpose getting you out into the community start developing some of those skills and habits that you need to actually take in as an employer um, and for kids now like I know with my boys um, they are, and when we've set them up with their own banking accounts say they need to earn their own money I mean they have very small allowances and if they want things now you know they have to work for it I mean I've I now take them to work with me if we have work for them I, I will bring them in in school holidays and say to them well this is what you're going to be paid this is what you need to work these are the hours that you need to work and no, no whining about when you want to go home this is the job that needs to be done and if they don't start learning those skills now they're certainly going to find it a hell of a lot harder when they learn that coming out the other end. And I don't know what it's like in the US, but when I went through high school, I had jobs from the time I was 14 when I was still at high school mm -hmm. because I had a goal that I wanted to be an exchange student. So um, I knew that I needed to pay for that. My parents are really working class. They didn't have the money to pay for it. They were like, we totally support you and what you want to do, but we can't finance you in doing it. So that's what I went out and did. And university even now, you know, the, when I loan, so many of them now would think, oh, no, I won't bother getting a job. I'll just get a loan. Well, yeah. if, you, if you come out I'm of not university, sure you should be, really... yeah, I wouldn't accept you at a university if you hadn't held down a job. Like, I, I, so, it's, I think it's super important for kid I, for kids to work, not to throw them in factories and child labor and like dangerous situations, but to for kids yeah, to know what it's like to have to show up on dishes. time and yeah, yeah do their thing. Um, abs Our absolutely, I can't agree more. Our Vintage Farm Table, this is not a super chat, but I wanted to read it. By the way, great username. Our Vintage Farm Table says, we just hired a person with a high school diploma over college graduates because she had worked full time all four mm. years and is taking one course a semester. Yeah. And that, that makes yeah. total sense to me. Um, I, there was one other comment, also not a super chat, I wanted to address. Oh, just because it, it 
I, I can't believe that this kind of person exists. <laughs> Someone in the chat, probably one of Josh Denny's uh, fan club members said, said, uh, there's dignity in Uber and like basically was making fun of that. I don't understand you. Yes, there's dignity in any job. And I don't understand why you think, is it more dignified to sit on the couch and watch Netflix and have somebody else pay for you? I don't, you think that's dignified? That doesn't get lead to self-respect. That leads to, I, it, I think for most people, a spiral of depression born out of dependency mm -hmm. and a deep feeling of being useless. Yeah. <laughs> so, just that, like, that comment to me, like I've often, my fan club, one of the favorite things my fan club love to say to me is, oh, she's so self-entitled, she's so arrogant. And it's like, no, I'm not arrogant, I'm confident. There is actually a difference. Yeah. But that comment that you just read now, that's fucking arrogant. That's arrogant, yeah. Right. That's arrogant. Right. If you want to read, read Little Ragamuffins, because I, I want to respond to it, because I, I like what she's oh, saying like here. Little Ragamuffin, by the way, she's got a fan club. <laughs> <laughs> she does. <laughs> she said, they don't teach these things because they don't want people to be independent. They want employees welfare instead of business owners. Go read Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert yeah. Kiyos Kiyosaki. Kiyosaki. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I do think that she's, I don't want to be conspiratorial, but I don't, I don't know that there's a conspiracy. I don't, there isn't a conspiracy to like intentionally make people dependent, but it's a, it's a natural, like if you, if you're of the mindset that you want power and you want to run things and you believe in central control and that people are, if you're basically a collectivist and that people need to be managed on a tax farm and someone needs to manage them, well, you need farm animals in order for your farm to be efficient. You need yeah. people who will obey. And actually the best thing to do is to get them dependent on you. You yeah. don't want them to be independent. And I'm, I'm not saying they don't overtly want, like they might not realize that they don't want that, but like independence is not compatible with a nanny state. It's just yeah. not, but yeah. But dependence is compatible with the nanny state. So the more you build a nanny state, the more you get dependent citizens. Um, I'll it's use the word really easy voter dependent base. population. You know, it, is, yeah. it is a really, really easy voter base. One of the greatest, because we're very unionized down here, and one of the greatest oxymorons that I've always uh, makes me laugh is we have a beneficiaries union. We, I mean, how can you have a union for people that are on welfare? I don't well i mean this is this is what we've talked about before right the we have a large percentage of the population now and it's not just i don't want to pick on just welfare let's pick on wall street for a moment um who are tightly tightly reliant on government rules regulations sometimes handouts when there's a financial crisis like please bail me out of my absolute stupidity i should go bankrupt but i don't want to use my you know i need i still need to keep my yacht so i know i drove the bank into bankruptcy and lost everyone's money but could i have a bailout please like all of those those those, those people as as far as i'm concerned they're the same as welfare recipients um and the that attitude a large percentage of the population votes and has that attitude like they're voting because they want goodies they either want 
goodies in the way that we think about it from, you know, I want to sit on the couch and get UBI and I'm going to vote for the person who promises UBI. Or they want goodies because they're like, I think this dude is going to subsidize my industry and change this banking rule for me or whatever. They, they want something out of it. Very few people are voting based on what they think is morally correct anymore. I think they're just they're they're their votes are being purchased one way or another. And I don't see how that's sustainable. Voting is like a product. It's like anything else. It's the what in it, what's in it for me. And it always has been. And I mean, you see that it doesn't matter what country you're in, you know, you always see the, the money go around before any election. You have every party making promises and, you know, uh, writing checks that they can't cash in order to actually secure those votes. And it's it, that, is, I think, is one of the the frustrating things around democracy, isn't it? Because it's, you know, it is just reliant on who you can coerce the most. And it's, it is frustrating, but I think is, I mean, I'm very much an individualist. I, I, I think I've often said, you know, this is what I can control. This is, mm-hmm. and if I know that I can control, I start bring everything back to, okay, this is who I am. What can I do? How can I make, things in my immediate world with my family better um okay how can i make them things in my professional world better that's great what's going on in my community actually i think i can help there i've got some time i'd really like to do that if i think i can make a difference i will go out and do that and 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 it's like ripples in a pond you know it it builds outwards and all of that the uh, discipline to do that the ability and the skills to do that it, it you've got to exercise them and people, yeah. you know what, with this pandemic, they've gotten lazy because they've been on their asses at home and they've not been exercising it. They exercise this plenty enough on a keyboard, uh, but they're not exercising this and they're not exercising um, actually working here, working on this person. They think they well, are. That's, that's the not. other thing is, is one of these articles, I think it was the NPR piece that said, part of the problem is that a lot of these jobs require you to be there in person. It's like, yeah, like most jobs, we, yeah. we just, we just suddenly started thinking, Oh, I should be, everybody should be, every job should be able to be done from home. Well, a lot of jobs cannot be done from home and the media, I don't know if, if people are just using coronavirus as an excuse to being like, I'm afraid to work in the public face public facing jobs now, or if they actually do have a fear that was stoked into them by the media, but for whatever reason, it's like th- this fear of going out into the world and working face to face with people that that's it's an irrational fear. It's unhealthy yeah. for you. You need to yeah. get over it. <laughs> like, yeah, you need to. People need to get over it. Um, I mean, Johnny, Johnny, quick draw just real quick. Thank you, sir. He says dignity is from having a job and earning your own way. It's called being an adult. Many jobs suck, but you can't advance without starting somewhere. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. And, you know, it, it was it's Douglas Murray who says, you know, when he gets one of the things he often says with this entire cultural equation is he said it's the time for the grown ups to enter the conversation. And, you know, that it is it's part of being an adult. It's, you know, it's like, hey, look, I, I hold down a job. I do, I'm, I'm actually a grown up in this conversation. And so many of the ones that I know in my fan club that just spent all this time throwing all this hate in my direction and I'm thinking, wow, don't you guys have things to do? Because I certainly, if I even spent a fraction of the time, I mean, I don't read half of it now. I just I just wall it out into another place because I'm not interested. You know, I would much rather spend time with my family. I'd much rather spend time with my friends, my job, my community. Actually, things that are enriching not only yourself, but enriching those around you. So it's, 
yeah, it's time for the grown-ups to enter the conversation, you know, and, and, if, the, and if your grown-up thing is just one tiny little step, whether it's a little bit of courage or a little bit of responsibility mm. or doing something different, that's better than doing nothing at all. Yeah. 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 God, I've, I've, I've turned into such a grumpy old woman. <laughs> How did that Some, happen? Somebody called us grandmas earlier. Oh, did they? <laughs> oh. I'm not quite. Well, I'm not quite there yet. My, my sons are only thirteen and fifteen. I'm not quite there yet. Give it uh, time. <laughs> I'm not quite there yet either. But hopefully, I thought I was the old curmudgeon on the show. Day. So I'm happy that you guys are the old curmudgeon. Maybe they were talking about you, Carter. You're the grandma. I'm a grandma. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Who knows? Um. By the way, yeah. some of, some of these jobs, like the um, the gig type work or uh, the public facing jobs that I've been doing since I uh, folded my company so I could do say what I want mm -hmm. it uh, some of them have a lot of yeah you know you're doing grunt work at some of these places but they have a lot of positive benefits too when I first moved to the town that I'm in now which is a smaller town north of Austin um, I worked in a wine bar for a while and I worked mm -hmm. at a winery out in another town I would commute and work at the winery and it's a good way I met so many people being someone new to the town, it was just such a great way to meet everyone. And I think I'm probably going to do that when I move again for at least pick an amount of time to do some kind of customer service job like that so I can meet all the locals. But anyway, there's always a positive side to even, I think, the most grunt work type of thing that you have to do at some point, you know? <laughs> so... It's yeah. I, I, what a, what a job that I did that I loved actually is I worked um, to help make ends meet. I had my main job, but it was at that time um, commission based. So you know there were some weeks that you weren't earning as much as others. And I used to go and do um, wine tasting demonstration in supermarkets. That was one of my sort of gig jobs, and I loved it. You know, in a small town. Yeah. Where you know half the people that are there, yeah. you know, so it was honestly, it was like standing there pouring people booze and gossiping yeah. for three hours and pay for it. Yeah. Like, it's a fun job, it can yeah. be, yeah. <laughs> if I, I was, plus, plus, I get to, you know, because I'm in Texas, if you're working in any kind of uh job where you're pouring people booze, like you can really play up the tail. Like, I, I'm dressed hmm. like I worked in an old saloon. Like yeah. just coming in in the biggest hats and the biggest, it's like kind of like costumey every day. Anyway, it was fun. Um, yeah. Okay, we're just shooting the crap now. Carter, you look like you want to say something. No, I think I'm just looking at the time. It's been over yeah, two hours. I think yeah. we've had a, a good meandering conversation, but, you know, uh, I don't think we're going to solve these problems uh, no. anytime soon. We didn't? But. We solved them all, if I guess. <laughs> we solved them all. If you were listening closely, they're all solved. Um, but yeah, um, Marie, can you remind people where to find you, how to yes. follow you, all that kind of stuff? Yes, um, I. you can find me if you want to buy delicious yarn. And I actually just jumped and I saw in chat, there's a few of the, our unsafe knitters there. So thanks, guys. Um, Skeins.com, that's S-K-E-I-N-Z or Z dot com is where you can find the yarn. And the event is about to open. I'd better get my skates on, actually, because I've got a few things to do for that. The event opens for registrations in about a little over 90 minutes. And that is at knitaugustnights.com. Co.nz. Unfortunately, you need to either be in New Zealand or Australia to come to that because of the travel arrangements. But you know what? When the world 
uh, reopens, I am sure that uh, I'm going to come one year. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm gutted about your retreat because you know. I would, I would so love to come to that. So that's where you will find me. I'm on all the usual places and spaces and Facebook and yeah. Come on. Uh, also, hello. Josh Denny had to leave early, but you guys can find him on Twitter at Josh Denny, D-E-N-N-Y. And I want to say special thanks to Josh's fan club for coming today and giving us a bit yeah. of added unexpected entertainment. We have book club coming up on Sunday, this Sunday, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I had a dream oh. last night that I finished the book, and <laughs> and we were solving the problems <laughs> and everything. But I mean, it's it's forty two, or is that a yeah. spoiler? I don't, spoiler. Well, I don't. It depends how long Carrie's been reading. I, have you started it? <laughs> I don't. I don't. A lady doesn't talk about when she starts her book. I see. So no. <laughs> <laughs> I have a 14 hour day tomorrow too so I'm going to read the whole thing tonight suspicions confirmed <laughs> watch the movie yeah. no the movie's horrible, no, the movie's I'm, reading, horrible. I'm reading it don't worry I'm binging it I'm going to binge this one so Sunday you guys can join us for book club it's at 2pm Texas time you can find out more info at unsafespace.com on the book club page it's free to join and we have a retreat in August that Marie mentioned. We still have lots of day passes left. If you'd like to get a day pass, um, go to unsafespace.com to the retreat page and you can find out more info. And I hope to, I know some of you who've already said you're gonna be there. I'm excited to get to see you in person. Yeah, it should be thank, fun. Thank you, Richard Petz for the last super chat. Oh, I missed that one. All right, well, thank you everyone. Um, we will see you in book club on Sunday or we'll see you on Monday for Coffee Break as usual. And oh wait, are there any yeah. shows coming out? If you missed Carrie's chat, Carrie and Ian, you got you chatted yesterday with uh, the quartering. So if Jeremy you missed it. the quartering. That's go check great it out. because he talked all about social justice, the social justice mob moving into fantasy games like Magic the Gathering and mm. Marie, you'll find this funny. He got a lifetime ban from magic conventions, just like Marie T uh, Maria Tuscan Maria got Tuscan. banned from knitting conventions. So I said he was the Stop he was the Maria Tuscan of the the card and dice games. And I, actually, in the other in the, uh, the one interview that I watched while I was on holiday, and if no one has watched it yet, Josh Slocum. Oh, mind blowing! Oh, yes. Yeah. Mind I'm really liking his blowing. podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Yeah. I watched. Man, he unlocked so many of my fan club. Like, I just, I uh, yeah. It was fireworks for me. I was like, wow. Yeah, I dig excellent. that guy a lot. Mm. Cool. All right, thank All you right. guys. Bye, guy. Bye, bye, Marie. Thanks, everyone. Bye, bye. See you guys later. Thanks for watching. If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy, so go check it out. If you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms, at least for now, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning.
This is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the cathedral. Pay no attention to it. The following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and marked for cancellation. As a reminder, continued association with cancelled individuals is strictly prohibited. Violators will be subject to fair and objective sentencing, which may include cancellation, re-education, and compassionate liquidation. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Did you know that deer no longer wear Kevlar vests? Only we do that. So you won't need that silly thing anymore. Why not hand it over? Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.